0: You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you today for our final anniversary month film for 2023 as we go back to 2013, a year that brought us insert famous things from 2013 here. Was that Gangnam Style Year, maybe? Um, a lot. Not much has changed, I feel, in society in 10 years. It's been a weird decade. It's not like the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s even when we remember shit. The 2010s are kind of what we're in right now still. But we're here to talk about Rush. That's a movie that happened in 2013. A Ron Howard film. We're revisiting Ron Howard. Also starring Daniel Brühl, Chris Hemsworth. I think that Olivia Wilde might be in it for a few minutes. And it's also got that guy from Tomb Raider and that guy from Episodes. There's plenty to cover in this one. It's a movie that is very close to my heart, given my love of Formula One, as we go over the life and times of the epic battle in the 1976 Formula One season between Nicky Lauda and uh, James Hunt, which leads me into my introduction. My name is Ben, and that rhymes with cunt. A word that describes you perfectly.
1: Um, and my name is Colin, and my father was a stockbroker, my sister is a barrister, my brother's an accountant, and I do this.
0: I'm pretty sure you weren't going to use that line that I (laughs) use. It
1: was either that or my name is Colin Bubbles Hilding.
0: (laughs) What is it? What's that line about? Like I've got a really good ass, and it's good. (laughs) Um, I love this movie. I I literally. Watched this movie, I think, last night at about quarter past one. Went to bed at just after three. It's now just after 8 a.m. But, like, it got to a point where I was kind of like, oh, I've got to watch this movie. Not that I'm complaining about it, but just more of like, oh, sleep's good as well. But then I sort of get 10 minutes into this movie. I'm like, fuck, I love this movie. And then, boom, it was 3 o'clock and I was fine. And I literally watched this. And the day of us recording this, it is the Hungarian Grand Prix weekend. So I watched qualifying for the Hungarian Grand Prix. So I watched real-life Formula 1. And then I watched this straight afterwards. So, But it's just an epic movie. We'll talk about our backgrounds and everything with it in just a second. But you've obviously said that you hadn't seen this, I think, many times from memory. You're obviously not a big Formula 1 fan. I don't think you really know a whole lot about the sport, except your love of the qualifying lap. Uh, so <laughs> rush, are you still on the rush train?
1: Um, I, yeah, I mean, my, my history with this is that I saw it one time in 2013, uh, kind of in the, the rush, the end of the year rush where all the Oscar contenders are coming out. And this was getting a lot of buzz. I think partly because, you know, Ron Howard was coming out of Frost Nixon, which got like a best picture nomination. And this being another, you know, movie about celebrity rivalry, um, based in the seventies, Everybody thought this will be the next best picture nominee for him. And I think most people kind of thought this movie was superior to Frost Nixon. Uh, but I just remember watching it the first time being like, well, that was okay. And not really like being crazy about it not having any issues with it and literally never watching it again. And the only time I ever remember this movie existed was when you would bring it up usually. <laughs> uh, now, having said that, I rewatched this now. And um, I have some of the same opinions. I think that there's areas where, this movie maybe could have been a little bit better, but then there's other areas where I'm like, the dialogue in this movie more than anything is just fantastic. Like, what a script. I mean, Peter Morgan, I think, wrote this, who was attached to, uh, I think it was Skyfall or Spectre, one of those. Uh, he obviously did like uh, a lot of those um, uh, Tony Blair biopics. Frost Nixon was one of them. The Queen, I think, was another. All the Michael Shannon ones were <laughs> Tony Blair. Uh, yeah, and like so Peter Morgan is an, obviously an incredible you know writer, but like this movie is just, so entertaining uh and the the, the race i was gonna call chase sequences the race sequences are like really well shot now i think the downside to this is that the same feeling i got when i watched this in 2013 was that was okay but it kind of just makes me want to learn more about the real story and i mentioned last week that i never actually got around to watching the one main documentary that was released here hunt versus lauda never watched it i literally watched it as soon as i finished watching this movie and watching the real documentary just kind of made me a little bit more disappointed with this movie. Um, Cause I think there's things that like, wow, you really could have made this even bigger and better. The real story seems better than the movie. Uh, but again, like it's, it's, it's a very entertaining movie. I mean, I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I did. I had the exact opposite viewing experience as you did. I started watching this two days ago, got about 10 minutes in before Jamie maybe changed the channel to a reno show. Uh, I watched a little bit more of it last night before bed. I watched about, 45 minutes of it while I was walking my dog this morning and then finish it off while I was on the treadmill this afternoon so Broken up over about three days, but it wasn't something where I was ever bored thinking, oh, now i got to watch another 20 minutes of Rush while I'm walking the dog. I'm like, oh, I can get back and watch Rush again.
0: I um, I, I just love hearing you talk about walking a dog. I keep forgetting that you have a dog, which would still never come downstairs. Where's Dizzy? I want to see Dizzy. Come she on. doesn't care for the stairs. No. <laughs> uh, unless she
1: knows there's food down here. <laughs>
0: Story of my life. Don't care for the stairs. Um, I... My history with this movie is that, you know, obviously you follow Formula One, you're going to be aware of that they're making a movie about Formula One. And I remember when they sort of announced this, that a lot of people get always very sceptical because there's not been a great history around Formula One movies in the past. I mentioned Grand Prix from the 60s was kind of the benchmark. And then they sort of steered away and there was a few other like weird ones. It was mainly sort of always documentaries. And the famous case, of course, is Driven. Which was meant to be a formula one movie sylvester stallone was hanging around with the f1 paddock in the 90s and this was always the plan to be a formula one movie but then didn't get the access he wanted which we're now seeing with this brad pitt movie instead and he turned that into the uh very interesting movie that is driven the so bad it's good i would say driven the highlight of estella warren's career which (laughs) we should bring her back into the into the conversation um, so this was really the, the first kind of one that had been done in a while. And, and it was very well received in the formula One community. I, I remember I was hosting the qualifying lap at the time, funnily enough, and I don't know if I got invited to a pre-screening or there was some special thing that I got. I went to a pre-screening like a week beforehand at a kind of a small cinema in Hobart and loved every second of it. I remember just walking out of that, this movie going like, wow, like I think I've seen one of my favorite movies. And I think it's it is interesting because, you know, I'll be, I'll admit growing up being a Formula One fan, I, as you know with my sort of movie taste and things like that, I'm not often somebody who goes back into the past to watch older things. I'm sort of more like, Oh, I like the newer things.
1: But I was wondering about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, well it was sort of like, you know, I, I you know, I grew up and started watching Formula One in the early to mid nineties. So kind of that was always my period and I would look back at sort of older periods of the sport and go, Oh. Um, but like the older I got, the more I would I guess you know enjoy it you'd learn about the history of it and and nikki lauda was somebody who is just a larger than life figure he sadly passed away a couple of years ago but you know obviously very much alive during this period and he'd sort of it's still at that point he was still heavily involved in the sport and until the day he died he was one of the leading figures of the mercedes team who were you know one of the more dominant teams in formula one today Lewis hamilton if you know who that is kind of th- that sort of team and he'd always been around so everyone always knew who Nicky lauda was. So to kind of see this movie, and everyone knew who James Hunt was because he was always a larger than life figure. It's true what they say at the end of this movie. He did sadly die in the early 90s. Uh, so, you know, never sort of someone that I got to witness in person. But it was just an interesting way to see this. And it's it's something that, like, when you're a big fan of something, and, and Formula One, if I had to list all the many things I'm obsessed with, Formula One's number one with the bullet and I've never really had that opportunity to see a movie or that because 10 years ago, formula one isn't like it is now where everybody's talking about it, Netflix. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's huge. Like it was still kind of that sport where if I told people, I like formula one, Oh, that sport. Oh yeah. (laughs) Like it's sort of, it was big in certain circles, but it wasn't like massive, massive. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was a big deal. And yeah. So I I mean, I'll be honest when I watched this movie the first time, there was stuff I learned about. I was very much aware of the 1976 world championship I was very much aware of Nicky Lauder's very famous injury because if you you do see a glimpse of him at the end of this movie, they show the real yeah. uh, Nicky Lauder. He was—I I don't say physically deformed. That's a bit mean. Like you could see, see the effects of his accident. Very the, scarred. Yeah, for the rest of his life. Um, but I yeah, and I met him a couple of times, like at the Grand Prix, got his
1: autograph a couple of oh, times. Oh, really? Uh, so
0: wow. I do have Nicky Lauder's autograph, um,
1: but not was, Daniel Brulles.
0: Not Daniel Brawl, who I very much <laughs> nearly interviewed for this movie when it came out. It just, it sadly didn't get over the line. And then it was kind of a case of like, I would watch this movie maybe every couple of years. And it's a case of every time I just watch this movie, like, fuck, I need to watch this movie more. I've shown this <laughs> to people who've got no interest in Formula One and like, wow, that's a really good movie. Like, it's really entertaining. And as we'll talk about in this movie, I think robbed of so many awards. Like, as we're talking a lot about like last week, even, can I just say, even Chris Hemsworth, like, I think you had mentioned in one of the sort of preview episodes that, like, yeah, like he actually did okay. This rewatch, he's actually pretty darn good. Um, Like it blew me away with like, I always, I mean, Daniel Bruhl's amazing, but like, I kind of look at this movie and go, well, maybe Chris Hensworth could have been in contention for awards. I don't know. Like he does something in a movie that he doesn't really do. And that's be good. I don't know what your thoughts are <laughs> on that early on before we get really talking about him.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, first I'll talk about, uh, I'm, my familiarity with the sport is nothing other than just passing names like uh you know i i remember even the first time watching this movie and seeing mario andretti's name and well, I'm like, i've interviewed as well he was a
0: he, interviewed Mario. Andretti. oh have you really yeah.
1: that, that you've, you've interviewed a man that was on home improvement then because mario oh. andretti did multiple multiple episodes of mario and michael andretti multiple episodes of home improvement as themselves which i think is partly why i kind of knew who they were but like a lot of the names from i always would get confused growing up uh especially here in north america where I guess let's go even further. Say in Canada, yeah. you know NASCAR is so huge in the states. So to Canadians, where none of those racing sports are big here, you can't really separate what's what's the difference between Formula One, IndyCar, and and NASCAR, and all that. So it all kind of blends together. But like a lot of the the, the big names, you would know. Well, we mentioned during uh, Space Jam when we did Space Jam a couple of years ago that like you didn't have to be a basketball fan to know Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, Scottie Pippen, all these names and that was kind of just the era in the nineties where it's like sports stars were bigger than life. So I kind of knew of the Andrettis and all that, but, uh, never really watched any, you know, any type of, whether it be NASCAR formula one or anything like that. But like I said, the movie kind of got me interested at least in like learning about the history of the sport and all that. And, and, I knew nothing about the real, uh, Nikki Lauda either. When I saw the movie, I just kind of knew this is a movie about this famous rivalry. So when, some of the the scarring and disfigurement comes up later on in the movie. That was one of the things that really grabbed my attention. That's what I always kind of remember about this movie. Um, but, I mean, it's just as a movie fan, you know, obviously I was big Ron Howard. Who isn't a big Ron Howard fan, right? And Ben made Apollo 13. Probably his girlfriend
0: or something. I don't know. There's probably some people who don't I, like him.
1: I, I kind of imagine that Ron Howard's been with one woman his whole life, you know? Oh, he
0: has. <laughs> yeah. Once you, he, he, once he you land have. Ron Howard, you don't let that man go. Exactly. That man's a dish. <laughs>
1: Uh, I can't imagine that like there's any skeletons in Ron Howard's closet he's like the most wholesome guy ah, in Colin. Hollywood
0: Colin's kind of like Ron Howard like that's why Jamie loves you so much he's, like, oh, well, he's a jackpot with Colin
1: I was gonna say I feel like that Nicky Lauda is the Colin because when he's <laughs> proposing to his girlfriend it's like I'm not gonna be very good at giving you flowers or holding no, your hand or Nicky any of that Lauda's
0: me like, like you don't have to be <laughs> liked like not many people <laughs> like you
1: we're, we're all Nicky Lauda but I, that's the one the interesting thing about this movie is that you have these two larger than life characters like you said but like one guy is very flamboyant and the other guy is very much not but everybody i know who's seen this movie seems way more interested in nikki lauder than they do james hunt and that's nothing against james hunt i mean as far as like daniel brule goes i mentioned last week and on several other episodes like the, his breakthrough movie was a german movie called goodbye lenin and um I, I wouldn't say i went through a phase but i'd say uh movies went through a phase in the early 2000s where german movies suddenly became very big it kind of started with like you remember Run Lola Run?
0: Mm, I love. Do you remember Run, that Lola. at yeah, all? Yeah, that's that's yeah. one. That's every time you talk about like any German things or German film, that's the one German film of, right? that's not porn that I think I've seen. So yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, Run Lola Run was big. I mean, Das Boot. Uh obviously, Wolfgang Peterson wanted to become much bigger in Hollywood after that. But we I even mean, go back to Das Boot and some German stuff he made. Uh and uh, one of the um the the movies I remember kind of there being a big deal about was this movie Goodbye Lenin, which is just this really ridiculous comedy about a kid who has to convince his mom that the, the Soviet Union never collapsed. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's a German film, but obviously you, you, two sides of Germany. One was under Soviet control. And I always just loved him in that movie. And as he started to break into Hollywood through like uh, the Bourne movies and this, like anytime Daniel Bruhl was in time so I checked it out, there was even a movie I reviewed, a very little known movie with Daniel Bruhl and Rosamund Pike, Seven Days in Entebbe, which is like a mm-hmm. hostage crisis movie. Uh, great movie. And I basically saw that movie because Daniel Bruhl and Rosamund Pike were in the same movie. Um, I mean, as far as Chris Hemsworth goes, I mean, we all kind of are the same opinion. He's good at what he does, but he's not much of an actor. He never I don't think he would consider himself much of an actor. And I think what works so well with him in this movie is that on the surface, I think the first time I watched this movie, I'm like, that was a really good performance from him. And I watched it the second time. I'm like, Chris Hemsworth is just playing Chris Hemsworth. But then you see the footage of James Hunt at the end of this movie. And when I watched that documentary, I'm like, I actually think more than anything, Chris Hemsworth became James Hunt and never lost that because they seem like the same person. Yet I don't think we ever saw that side of Hemsworth before this movie came out.
0: I think the thing with this film is that Daniel Brühl getting all the plaudits and a lot of F1 bands would talk about his closeness to Nicky Lauda because it's Nicky Lauda had a very distinct voice and Daniel yeah. Brühl's voice is spot on. And like my my friend who I actually used to do the qualifying lap with. He could do a perfect Nicky Louder impression. We actually used to have a segment on our Formula One show. It's qualifying lap where we would have like Nicky Louder, and we'd call it like "Let's get louder." There was this song we'd play. And it's like, "Oh, Ben, Nicky Louder here!" Oh, I, 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 you know what? I've gone and seen. I've gone and seen a movie. I've going to seen a movie about me, Nicky Louder. Like he would do it like perfectly. Actually, it wasn't too bad, Ben. Maybe I could do it a bit that, better than I thought I could.
1: The qualifying laps was much more amusing than I thought. I, I kind of just pictured Ben. Willard. And so the results were on lap seventeen. <laughs> You know
0: me; I can never do serious things. Come on, like I mean, but that's the show we had Mario Andretti on, Colin. Uh, I
1: really got to listen to it. We actually
0: like tracked him; it was it was random. Like we found like an email or something for a manager, and as you know, what we do on a lot of our shows, we just ask the question, and they were quick back. It was like, yeah, sure, you available this Saturday? And it was like a (laughs) half an hour interview. Like it was a pretty lengthy sit down interview with Mario Andretti. So um, (laughs) I'd have to dig it through the archives, Colin. I would never listen to it again. I'd cringe at hearing my voice from like ten years ago. But uh, anyway. Um, But, yeah, I think that everyone in F1 circles always applauded Daniel Brühl. And I, I feel not many people talked up Chris Hensworth at the time. But you're right because, again, James Hunt, notorious for this lifestyle. This was sort of you get that line in this movie when somebody sort of says to Nicky Louder about like, oh, you're not a Formula One driver. They're all blonde and party boys and kind yeah. of like that. That was sort of the record.
1: No, sh- shirts open with their bare chests revealed. Right,
0: literally, like, and like you see him having alcohol before getting into a car. Secret. like you literally mm-hmm. go back and see footage from the seventies, and this is what it was. Like that is what yeah. Formula One was at the time, and that's why a lot of people bemoan Formula One now that we don't have these characters anymore in the sport. And it's like it's fascinating to kind of see the comparisons because there, there's a there's a person in this movie who's sort of portrayed, and you see a photo of him at the end called Murray Walker, who was main commentator like if you think of uh you you know the main ice hockey voice like the voice of ice hockey in Canada like whoever the main person would be in the history that's Don Cherry or someone else Mm. Murray Walker was the voice of Formula One so he commentated for 40 50 years he was always one of my idols him and Bruce McAvaney were the two people that I wanted to grow up and be I interviewed Murray Walker probably one of the best interviews I've ever done in my life because he was such an idol of mine and such a lovely lovely man um and he had died a couple of years ago but he'd written an autobiography and they did another book on him. And like half those books are about James Hunt and learning about what this guy was like, because Murray worked alongside of him in the commentary box. Cause after James Hunt retired, he became like an alcoholic and like was fucked up. Nikki Louder helped him get back on the it mend and got him a job basically in TV. Cause these two they are actually really good friends, which is one of the yeah. inaccuracies this movie portrays. Um, but James Hunt would then still kind of kept up a bit of a lifestyle behind the scenes because there was like a famous story where Murray Walker and James Hunt were in the commentary box and they nearly got into blows because James Hunt was just being such a dick. Um, and Murray Walker was like the sweetest man. So for him to get violent is like very rare. So I think Chris Hemsworth does portray that so well. And I don't know, there's just something about when you see an actor in a role like this where you can see their potential, if you know what I mean. Like, it's kind of like what we we're talking about Maybe not so much with Jim Carrey because I don't think he's ever shied away from doing roles like he did last week. Whereas Adam Sandler's kind of a, I can't be fucked. I'll do a role like that when I want to. And then you see what yeah. he's capable of and you're like, oh, come on, Adam, do more movies like that. <laughs> Whereas like Chris Hemsworth now is obviously much more comedic and we've talked about, like, that's that's works for him. Um, but I don't know. I think I, I feel like apologizing to Chris Hemsworth for my hatred of him in the 2000s, saying that all he was was a body and had no range, which maybe <laughs> he still does. But this movie. Just play people like James he, Hunt, Chris Hemsworth. The, the,
1: the, in all fairness, he really doesn't have range. It's just he he zeroed in on something he's really good at doing. And I honestly believe that he took that from James Hunt, the real man. <laughs> yeah,
0: which it's funny. I don't know. Um, again, don't get me tangent on Formula One. But if you've ever heard of a, a more recent driver called Kimi Räikkönen, um, very he, last Ferrari world champion, he was very kind of, monotone and recluse. He's finished, but very funny. Like I'll have to send you some funny interview. He's the type of person when people would interview him and they'd be like, Oh, like he'd, he'd crash out of the race and that a reporter would come to him. Kimmy, you, your tie got on the curb there. You went wide and you hit the wall. Can you tell us more what happened? I spun. And then he just walk off. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what he would say. Uh, and it's like, Oh, Kimmy helmets are, are very sacred to drivers. You know, you can put designs on them and show off things. things. Tell us what your helmet means to you. It protects my head. And then he walk off, <laughs> but he was a massive James Hunt fan. And there was a Grand Prix a few years ago where he went, like uh, he drove in a race with the James Hunt helmet, which was true. The black helmet with like a bit of a red and yellow and blue on. it, I think, and it says the words James Hunt on it. So um, he's still someone who's revered a lot in, in today. And Nicky Louder, obviously as well. Uh, Ron Howard doing this film. I think that got a lot of credit when this movie was announced because, again, I, I, I you might have to look this up. Who directed Driven? I mean, have they gone on to a big career? Rennie R-
1: R- R- Harlan, the same guy who did Cliffhanger for okay. Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> there you go.
0: Well, Cliffhanger, much more remembered than Driven. You mentioned the word <laughs> Driven amongst Formula 1 fans, and I think their balls go up into their chest and their vaginas, <laughs> and every part of their body just rescinds inside <laughs> of them. Um, so I think kind of when you announced the name Ron Howard attached to it, it, it was obviously a little bit more. And I remember this getting a lot of Oscar bars at the time, but ultimately, yeah. as we'll talk about it, it didn't really get a whole lot, sadly, towards the end of it. Uh, just quickly on it, we'll get into it. Um, it's interesting Nicky Lauda's actual reception of this movie because mm, when, he, when he first saw it, he didn't like it. But then when he afterwards he would say, and I think the, the quote that he said eventually was, it's about 80% accurate. And it is fairly accurate. Um, it's It's much more accurate than Cool Runnings. Um, mm-hmm. but like, you know, there are certain things in it. Like, as I just mentioned in real life, Nicky Louder and James Hunt were actually quite good friends. Um, so that was true. Some of the race details are a little bit inaccurate. Um, for example, in the final race here, they, they snub an Australian driver. Um, so they, they show him, um, overtaking, uh, is it Latifi or Regazzoni, um, no, no Regazzoni. They show him uh, overtaking Clay Regazzoni when he actually in real life overtaked Alan Jones, an Australian, uh, our last Australian <laughs> Formula One world champion. Um, and there's a few other bits and pieces here, which, you know, the Formula One nerds will be a bit annoyed at. But, I mean, you've got to blemish sometimes these things to make it mm-hmm. a bit a movie at the end of the day. And if you're getting 80, yeah. 80% correct, I mean, Cool Running's probably got and- it like 20% correct, right? So, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think when when I watch a movie like this, when I watch any sports biopic, for for whatever reason, a regular biopic, you kind of want to know that it's following the story closely. A sports biopic, sports movies, it's such a specific genre. Yeah. And you have to hit all those beats that I almost find myself watching this going like, you know, I- I'm surprised they didn't do this. It would have been more dramatic. And then you're like, oh, wait, but this is a true story. They're probably following a true story. But yeah. this is, I think, a lot closer to something like the two movies that I thought of were Chariots of Fire and Ali also movies that are kind of about the, the larger-than-life characters in the sport and rivalries, but uh, movies that focused a lot more on the real story and not so much about let's hit all the marks of what a sports biopic is, whereas I, when I described this to Jamie, I'm like, you get a movie like Cool Runnings, which is, Cool Runnings is great for what it is, but it is a fictional film. This is a movie that is sort of telling a true story, which is something completely different.
0: And I think we've we've talked about that before, that y- you can allow those sort of things because... You know, obviously, if you come into a movie with a lot more knowledge on the subject or the real life story, you're going to be able to pinpoint the inaccuracies there. But then you look at it, say, from the perspective of someone like yourself who doesn't really know this sport. And if you're entertained and you get the gist of this story for the most part, that's fine. I I think this is a weird comparison, but I think you know where I'm getting it. I mean, my love of ice hockey came from watching The Mighty Ducks. Mm. As an ice hockey fan, that movie is terribly inaccurate. I mean, come on, Iceland. Um, <laughs> come on, Trinidad and Tobago. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, as if Trinidad and Tobago are going to score a goal against the USA <laughs> in ice hockey. It's so fake. But, like, again, the gist of it is there. You've got the the foundations of a movie on a sport, which for someone like myself, I'm not familiar with ice hockey at all in Australia. As you were saying, you're not really familiar with Formula One. It's sort of something that's not really that much of a deal. So it, it is kind of a, it lays the foundations there. I will say there is a slight Canadian... Weird, like blink and you miss it moment in this film. The the drivers briefing when sort of Nicky Loud is wanting to cancel the race. There's, they cut sort of around the room and you've got like these other drivers, most of them who aren't talking, but they've clearly hired actors to look like certain Formula One drivers. And there is one in there who they've hired to look like Gilles Villeneuve, who I'm sure you've heard of Gilles Villeneuve. I've
1: heard the name. Yeah. Yeah,
0: So he was your um, iconic Formula One driver of the seventies and eighties, died tragically, should have won a world championship. There's a circuit in Montreal. is named after him. His son, Jacques Villeneuve, went on to win the world championship in 97, the only Canadian Formula One world champion. And there is a guy in that room who I'm like, that has to be Gilles Villeneuve because like, he looks like him, but he's a Canadian legend um, and a Formula One legend too, considered one of the greatest drivers of all time to have never won a world championship. But um, And there are a couple of others in that room who clearly are meant to be others, but um, let's get into this because famous last words, Colin, I feel this won't be a whole <laughs> lot to get through. It'll just be Ben going on a tangent. Three
1: weeks... Three weeks in a row we've said that and gone three hours plus. <laughs> but I think,
0: I think the difference is is that with the Tribute show and Mr. Doubtfire, that are movies that you and I have seen back to front and you can laugh at and you can talk about, I feel this is one that, I mean, it's not really a funny movie. It's 50% movie. driving. Yeah, exactly. Um, so just, it's just more of a case of, Colin, stop Ben talking about Formula One. Um, <laughs> so we sort of start off with uh, the beginning of the 1976 Japanese Grand Prix with Hunt and Lauda sitting on the grid. And another key element too, which they sort of focus on, which I'm surprised it didn't go as hard on, was this sort of element of the sport, which really was a thing really until the early 90s, this real danger that like in this period in Formula 1, like as he says at the beginning, like 25 drivers are on the grid, two of us die every year. I mean, Mm. in all fairness, that wasn't as many as it was the 10 years before. There's a a great documentary series called Grand Prix, the killer years, uh, Formula 1, the killer years, which I mean, it's scary how tragic this sport was. Um, and I don't know if you've ever heard of Sir Jackie Stewart, um, absolute legend of the sport, three-time champion. He was an absolute advocate for safety because, and he will talk about it to this day. He's still around and still a great character. Um, and he basically was getting sick of having to, like, he'd be like, I'd go to a race one weekend, a funeral the next weekend, a race weekend. Like it was just (laughs) that bad.
1: And I I wonder if I was just going to say on the documentary, there's a guy who talked about you know, that that uh, somebody that he's like a pit crew guy or something like that, and that somebody who he was friends with died. And he basically made a point from that point forward. It's like, no, these are employees or co-workers. Yeah. I will never oh. make friends with another driver again.
0: Very, very famous. Very lots of uh, famous people in the sport have always said things like that. Um, mm. So that that's generally a lot of the uh, a lot of the consensus of the sport, because. And a lot of what actually changed. So what this season itself is very groundbreaking for Formula 1 because at the end of the movie, when you see it being broadcast live on TV, if I'm not mistaken, when you hear those lines of like call off the race, like, no, this is being broadcast live on TV. If I'm not mistaken, this was the very first season to be shown full live every single weekend. And that race was streamed around the world. And it was yeah. the first time it's ever happened. And basically Bernie Eccleston, who's a big, larger and life figure, he might've been featured in that documentary. I haven't seen that documentary in a long time. Um, that you know, he changed the sport and he got this sort of live on TV. So a lot of that came to safety improvements because they didn't want to show people dying on TV and a lot, but like this was a very, very dangerous sport. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Still is a very dangerous sport. We have thankfully in Formula One not had a death now in nearly 10 years. And prior to the death we had nine years ago, it'd been 20 years since we'd had a death. So that was unheard of time. This episode airs. Well, it is Hungarian Grand Prix weekend this weekend. So I'm hoping I'm not (laughs) testing fate. Um, but So we sort of get that sort of opening monologue where they hello, like, oh, Nicky Lauda, uh, this is my story. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's, Sam could do it better. We get Sam on the show. Um, and then this sort of cuts to six years later once we see the beginning of the race and we get our first taste of James Hunt. Now, did Jamie watch this movie? Because within the opening, like, five minutes you're seeing the uh, shirtless and naked Chris Hensworth, you see his ass. I don't know if that's really his ass no. or an ass double, but good ass.
1: See, uh, I I think we probably talk about back when Thor Ragnarok came out. Jamie like hated Chris Hemsworth until Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> and then ever since Thor Ragnarok, it's like she couldn't care less. But if I put on Thor Ragnarok, she likes him. But the funny thing is I, I'm trying to pinpoint the movie. There was a movie I was watching with Daniel Bruhl where she was like, ooh, who's this guy? like between the two of them and daniel brew would be your guy really yeah
0: he's got the accent i, mean, I guess to you chris Hemsworth <laughs> has
1: an accent too i guess but like <laughs> exactly uh,
0: does um does does she prefer the german or does she prefer the uh, australian accent like what's what's her moistness level on those um,
1: I, I, i'll have to get her down here and play both for her i was gonna say like
0: you go to bed with her tonight and go
1: g'day jamie how you doing it jamie take your clothes off <laughs> Well, we're we're really picking here with close to a Schwarzenegger accent. (laughs) So I think it'll be Schwarzenegger. There's something
0: more about the German accent and orders, which maybe goes down well. Like, (laughs) it's just something about hearing a German accent and you feel like you have to follow orders. Wear an Australian accent.
1: <laughs> yeah, she'll be right, mate. But they could both say, do it now, woman, and they'd obey, right?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Do you obey an Australian accent?
1: Do it now, mate. <laughs> well, yeah, you, love. If, take, if, take off your knickers. You're not- you're Australian, probably not <laughs> what about here. Yeah, I, don't, I don't listen to Australians
0: and they tell me what to do. All my bosses are foreign. Come on, <laughs> that's right. G'day, mate Ben. Get to work. Fuck off, John. Ben, come to work. All right, sir. I'll be there tomorrow. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. How heil
1: would you Hitler. like your coffee, sir?
0: <laughs> don't do signals, Ben. That's wrong. Like this isn't a video. Yeah,
1: because the signals—the part that the audience is going to get offended by—not you saying heil Hitler." <laughs> I said heil Hit,"
0: and then I stopped. I could have been like,
1: Heil, hit
0: 107.3 radio.
1: It could have been Heil Himmler. Then it just would have been slightly less offensive. Exactly.
0: No one listens to this show. It's fine. Um, <laughs> download our other episodes and uh, Patreon and our Nip Tuck. Uh, what a show that was. Um, so, yes, James Hunt uh, has come into this um, woman as well as his hospital.
1: Come <laughs> um, into this woman.
0: That's a sex joke, Colin. Oh, that's not the right one. Why is that screen always <laughs> on? That's the one. Jesus, and it's always law and order. Apparently, is going on there. Uh, so he's he's had an accident, or well, he's apparently got into a fight with a with a woman, uh, but he decides to have sex with this nurse instead. Well, I'm sure he decided to. I don't want to get medical um,
1: help. I want to get sex. Um, Thinking, should I? Go to the library or maybe have sex with a nurse. I've decided I'm going to have sex with a nurse. That's me. And then Colin's gone to the library. I'm going to the library.
0: (laughs) It was like Animaniacs. Hello, nurse. Uh, Oh, bring back Animaniacs. That was a great show.
1: You Uh, don't know who this nurse is, the actress, though, do you? uh, Not personally, no. I wish I did. Who is she? Who is she? Uh, This is Natalie Dormer. She was a a big star on Game of Thrones. She kind of came in about halfway through the series, or maybe like the third season, but was easily one of the best and most popular characters on the show and one of the few actors of Game of Thrones that actually had mild success in movies although that seems to have disappeared since the Hunger Games franchise ended. I
0: feel is, is Game of Thrones the 2010s version of like CSI and Law and Order that every actor's on it like
1: oh I, yeah absolutely because
0: <laughs> I feel like that, that to me like when everybody says like oh you know this person they're from Game of Thrones I'm like wasn't everyone in Game of Thrones like I mean I just <laughs> It's lost its appeal to me. So not that she I've was, been.
1: she was a major character though, like like one of the main stars for several seasons, and she also was a pedophile on the show. So you should like. Her. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you reference that within the show? And she was a former pedophile. She was a twenty-five-year-old <laughs> woman who married a twelve-year-old boy. So oh. uh, that should be. She married
0: happy. Joffrey. Was that Joffrey?
1: She was engaged to Joffrey. I can't remember if she married Joffrey, but then she ended up being married off to Joffrey's younger brother.
0: Jesus. What is this show? Why is this show acceptable when yeah. it's got pedophilia <laughs> and incest? Like, why am I questioned as a Tasmanian? In Game of Thrones, oh, incest, it's
1: hot. You don't have dragons in the background on I mean, yours. You know, have you ever difference. been to Tasmania?
0: We've got devils.
1: Devils. <laughs> <laughs> basically a dragon right come on we've got inbreds and devils and people who bite each other in sporting events she's not tasmanian but (laughs) already game of thrones over there can i just point out that guests
0: on all our shows either die or bite people or win shit (laughs) stop biting people guests on our show (laughs) Go on and be the president of the Actors Guild instead and be Fran Drescher.
1: (laughs) One person on our show has actually achieved anything. It was Fran Drescher. Uh, She's probably
0: bitten a few people in life.
1: Oh, Mr. Sheffield. (laughs) (laughs) Tastes good. (laughs) Mike
0: Tyson of sitcom actors. Um, (laughs) So anyway, so um, this woman gets brought to the next day. I I love kind of like... I want to say the dumbing down for the audience for non motor racing fans when it's like, oh, I've always wanted to go to a Grand Prix. Well, you'll still be waiting, love, because it is Formula yeah. 3, a lesser category.
1: Here's the history I didn't know of the there sword. was a Formula 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Yeah,
0: they've gone through different names over the years, but like today it's just called F2, F3. Uh, so it's, it's, just, it's just the feeder series, basically. Uh, the Australian Grand Prix this year actually was the first time they ever had uh, F2 and F3 races i'd seen them before when i've been in malaysia but like the thing i'll say that was great about having the formula 2 and formula 3 at the australian grand prix this year was basically the paddock was open so sam and i were just walking around and we met like half these drivers who in like two or three years time are going to be formula one drivers and we're getting photos yes. taken with them we're getting autographs and all that kind of stuff and they were just so chill there's just like these you know 19 20 year old kids who are basically trying to make it into formula <laughs> one and you could just walk up to them and, and meet them it was great it was fantastic um,
1: Or have sex with them if you're just as a nurse. (laughs)
0: How did you know what I did that weekend? (laughs) Um, So one cool thing that I really like how they portray this, which was true with James Hunt and true with Formula One. So you get introduced here to the Hesketh team and Lord Hesketh, and this was a real Formula 1 team. This was a real person. So, uh, And they were renowned. Like You see them when they get into Formula 1, sort of this glitz and glamour and caviar and all this sort of stuff. And this was a real thing. And there was an interview that Lord Heskers, because he's still alive, did a couple of years ago on the podcast I listened to. And he just talked at length about kind of just like his lifestyle and what he was known for. And this was true. And he gave, uh, I was about to say Chris Hemsworth, he gave James Hunt his break into the sport so i like is he
1: the guy who's like very proper and british and snooty in this movie yeah
0: yeah so yeah okay that was that and that's true that like that was legitimately what hesketh were known for um and same within formula one when you see him with like the white car and the no branding again very much what he was known Mm -hmm. for because this was a period in the sport where basically sponsorship ruled tobacco was on everything formula one was a sport that all the tobacco companies uh sponsored and everything along those lines um, but we before we meet Nikki Louder for the first time here and kind of get this introduction, did you see our beloved uh Tomb Raider actor? Uh, your Mr. Bubbles man, did you recognize him? Was he from Tomb Raider? Julian Rind Tut is Mr. Pims, like the beverage from Tomb Raider. Was oh, he the,
1: in, the, the, the butler yeah, guy in
0: Angelina Jolie? Oh, yeah. One the <laughs> evil guys, like henchman. It was like Mr. Pims, like the beverage. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought him. I
1: thought so he was he was like Lara Croft's butler in the. Oh the no no not that butler.
0: He was like the evil guys, like henchman he, butler guy when she first meets the the evil guy in the first Tomb Raider movie.
1: Did you see the even more important than this, so this what's this guy's name? Julian Rindt
0: or Rindtut. So
1: he he also played Yao Min of the HMS Devonshire on Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh,
0: I think I maybe knew. that. I know he's in, he's in um Notting Hill. So we'll talk about him later. Time timeout
1: in, journalists. Yeah,
0: he's he's the one when they like uh, go up to the room. That's when uh, you haven't seen Notting Hill ever. What am I talking about? So you don't no. even know what I'm talking about. The famous horse and hound scene. Um, you'll get oh, it in a couple course. of months. <laughs> uh, I think I did know he was in Tomorrow Never Dies,
1: though. And he was in a Roger Moore movie, The Saint. Yeah, so, well, a movie based on Roger Moore. Well, Roger Moore. Moore makes a cameo a Val- in it, right? So. Yeah, and Val-, Val Kilmer and Roger Moore and Julian tut or whatever his right, name is it's the same film
0: oh it was in bridget jones's baby he was shaz's husband oh that's the one he was the baby that's the one Bridget jones movie i actually <laughs> haven't seen
1: spread your legs <laughs> julian's coming he's crowning
0: <laughs> oh that's that's a sentence i never thought i'd hear colin say um but uh, i have witnessed two childbirths <laughs> so i lie but maybe not legally um,
1: get out of the room, Ben. They're not old enough. So those for you are the German. Yet. Those are the the real German films you're familiar with.
0: <laughs> I just secretly, on a Saturday night, open myself a beer and watch childbirth movies from Germany. What you up to now tonight, Klaus? Who have you gotten pregnant? Oh, yeah yeah, push it, push it, real good. <laughs> Would that be in German like, Das ist real good? <laughs> Hello to all our Germans, I love Germans. Was i am like, a German tattoo. Come on, Michael Schumacher. is German.
1: <laughs> the Germans just goes push it, Rammstein. <laughs> <laughs> push. Push half. Push half me.
0: Push half me. We're all pushing our babies out. <laughs> our babies out. It's wunderbar. <laughs> I love the Germans. Seriously, Germany, what oh, a country.
1: Providing quality entertainment since nineteen thirty-ish. I I, I I
0: forget that time in history. Who cares? Oppenheimer, just ignore the I'm not seeing it yet, but I'm sure there's German references in it. How could there not be? Uh, it's the thirties. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, they did a classic movie of the twenty twenties. Russia. What are you talking about? No idea. Ukraine never heard of it. Uh, <laughs> But this is even like when you see Nicky Louder straight away. Racist pit mechanics. Like, oh, Nicky Louder, oh, he's some German. Like, uh, Austrian. What is it about famous Germans getting um, confused and they're actually Austrian? Uh, That's never happened before. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, clearly that's who who I'm talking about. No one else. Uh, just like did austrians just hate germany that much they're just kind of like for fuck's sake we're not from there like <laughs> they're like the new zealand to australia or the canada to america like they're just always yeah. considered austrian uh, always considered germans like we're austrian <laughs> i was actually friends with an austrian girl in uni and we'd have her on the radio a lot and the, the other one obviously they get often confused for as australia because the names sound the same and she mm-hmm. would say that they actually have T-shirts in some stores over there that said there are no kangaroos in Austria. Um, which, of course, next year when we do Dumb and Dumber in this very Dumb and Dumber, month. yeah. <laughs> that's a lovely accent you got there. New Jersey, <laughs> Austria. Oh, well, get a mate. Let's go get <laughs> shrimp on the barbie. Let's not. <laughs> I, love it. I just always want to say that when I meet someone with an accent for like Germany, Austria, that's a lovely accent you've got there. New Jersey, <laughs> <laughs> when I was in New Jersey, never heard any accents like that, surprisingly. Enough. <laughs> hey, get out of here. It wasn't like, hey, get out of here. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, this is kind of our first introduction to James Hunt and Nikki Louder. This is, this is fictional. This never happened, but um, it's it's still kind of like a cool little... Uh, sequence here and you hear the name uh, the commentator says refers to James Hunt as often referred to as Hunt the Shunt which is true he very much was very true he was renowned crasher before he kind of settled down and actually would win races Um, but I do kind of like this sort of introduction between the two of them where you've got Nicky Ladder like, that was my corner. Like, you had no rights going into that corner. And James Hunter's just like, ah, oh, fuck off. Like, uh, name's James Hunter. Rhymes with cuts like you. Like <laughs> Kind of just like this back and forth between them. And we get this asshole, like, just back and forth between the two of them, which I like. And is this where he first refers to him as like a rat? Uh, because he was always yeah. kind of referred to as a bit of a rat-looking guy. If you actually look at real-life photos of Nicky Ladder before the accident, yeah, he does quite look like a... Bit of a rat. Um, so I was going
1: to ask about that because, like, I watched this movie, and to me, I, I didn't understand it because they even see there's a scene that comes up later on where he's like, "Oh, just because I look like a rat," I am like, Daniel Brule doesn't. But then, when I was watching the documentary before they even mentioned it, I am looking, I like, kind of does have a bit of a rat look, like not an ugly yeah. guy, but he just like it's got a rat look about it. And then somebody mentioned on the documentary, yeah, he looked like a rat, so we all called him rat.
0: Yeah, no, that was that was that was true, obviously in the documentary as you saw it too. One thing I'll say about like. You know, the look-wise, but when they put the makeup on him later on when he is burnt, very much mm. looks like Nicky Lauder. They've done very, yeah. very good job with that. Um, we get a scene sort of with Nicky Lauder here with his dad, and basically his dad's like, oh, no, we are, we are business people. We're all going to be on the front page. And he's like, well, when I'm on the front page as a world champion, screw you, and he goes and buys a, gets a loan to basically buy into the BRM team, which this is the beauty of Formula One, like in this period of time, like sort of coming out of the 50s and 60s. This was a thing like if you were quite wealthy and had some money and had an ability to buy a car, you could just enter Formula 1. You could go to the Grand Prix this weekend in Hungary and be like, oh, I'm Colin Hilding. I'm going to enter Formula 1 this weekend. They had, Eddie the it. Yeah, exactly. But they had like, you know, pre-qualifying. That So you still had to kind of get into the race. It's kind of like how in Cool Runnings, how in the Winter Olympics, they kind of had a bit of a thing where you could kind of show up. Yeah. Um, But so this was kind of – and to this day – Formula One is not exactly a cheap sport to get into. So most of the drivers who make it generally are from very wealthy backgrounds. And there are such things as pay drivers. Your Canadian driver in the sport today, who I'm a fan of, but not many people are, Lance Stroll. His dad owns the team he races for. So a lot of people say he's only in there because daddy owns the team. I disagree Nepotism. with that, but um, that's the thing. So this is still true to this day. But I kind of like this sort of whole bit where James Hunt wins this award and he's sort of learning about the fact that Nicky Lauda's bought himself into the sport. So he's uh, trying to get his way in. So uh, Hesketh, who did ultimately enter Formula One as well in the same manner. So you see the way that basically he's turned around to James Hunt and go, oh, look, you know, we're going to do the same as well. We get this great sequence with uh, Nicky Lauda showing up to Paul Ricard, which is in France. I'm sure you were wondering where that circuit was, Colin. Uh, till only about a year or two ago, still had Formula One racing at it. Um, and he's basically taken over the BRM team and he's like, Oh, if you'll take this part out of the engine and you use magnesium, we'll be two seconds faster. We meet Clay Regazzoni, real life Formula One driver. This guy, this actor, looks quite like Clay Regazzoni as well. Um, and I love how he just basically, you know, rips up his contract and is like, Oh, you I always going to pay for you, but no, you will pay me and I will do this and I'm turning more Arnold now. I think I've lost the any <coughs> louder. Um <laughs> Which, Nikki Lauder was always renowned for that kind of intricacies and like these smarts. And that's a, that's a level with Formula One that you kind of see in this movie that, you know, often you will have these personalities and fast drivers. And then you also kind of have real methodical, like, people who are very good at the technical side of things that can make themselves fast. I don't know if you've ever heard of Ed and Senna and Alain Prost. Sort of maybe the biggest rivalry the sport ever saw in the late 80s and early 90s. Etienne Senna, you know, this big, flamboyant Brazilian personality. There's a great documentary on him, you know, tragically killed in 1994 in a race, and everybody loved him. You know, he was the one that everybody loves. And then Alain Prost, his Frenchman, he was very methodical. He was called the professor because he was just very good at, you know, wasn't maybe the most exciting personality or driver, but he was methodical on the track, so he would win. So this is a similar sort of thing. <laughs> so we kind of got this set up, basically. And this is, again, where it's going back to your point about sports movies, where you've got to kind of almost – fast forward certain things to get to a points because you know, this kind of just portrays, he says, Nicky Lauda gets into the sport with a team does this. So does James Hunt. And then straight away, they're like winning races and getting podiums. Like, I mean, that's not mm-hmm. how it works. <laughs> um, so obviously they kind of uh, fast forward a few things here. I mean, James Hunt did win races for Hesketh. So you never see this portrayed in this film. You kind of see him when he joins McLaren and that's kind of him winning, winning races. And I'm pretty sure Nicky Lauda also did win races before he went to Ferrari as well. Um, but you are kind of just setting this up and sort of seeing the early days in Formula One, you see this James Hunt sort of, uh, part of him vomiting before every single race. It sort of, uh, showcases the nerves of that. We get some Nicky and James Hunt, uh, rivalry on sort of off the side of the track where James Hunt is kind of going like, oh, you bought your way into the sport. And Nicky Ladd is like, yeah, but you're at the back. So like, shut up. <laughs> um, so kind of the back and forth. Uh, and I might sort of go up here to the, the two-second cameo of Olivia Wilde. I always forget how little in this movie she is in, which I almost feel you can yeah. cut the Olivia Wilde stuff. It doesn't doesn't really add yeah. much to the James Hunt character. Like, I don't know. Um, so we sort of see James Hunt almost doing a cool runnings here, visualizing the track, Monaco, which uh, is the one circuit which I dream of going to every single year. It's, it's the still to this day the, the main race that every driver wants to win. She shows up and has a bit of a flirt session with... James Hunt, no, I'm not meant to go near you. I was told you're trouble. Uh, and then next minute, they're getting married. Uh, I'm assuming there's a whole bunch of other stuff between these two and this one because it does feel a bit odd that all of a sudden it's like, hey, how you doing? I'm Olivia Wilde, Wild Wild Cockburn. Uh, and I'm I'm Chris Hemsworth. I hopefully won't give you Wild Wild Cockburn. You slept with Daniel Craig, um, which seriously, Olivia Wilde, another one of these people who are hanging out with cool people, right? they're Daniel Craig, like, you know, was it, Benjamin he,
1: McKenzie. Was that
0: article you shared where, like, Daniel Craig, like, bedded a woman for, like, He's two a, days straight or something?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. An ex-girlfriend of Daniel. Well, she was, like, 30-something. and She dated him when he was 19 and basically said he would basically go seven times a night, and it was the best sex of her life.
0: <laughs> I mean, I picture that with Daniel Craig. I mean, everybody does.
1: <laughs> but that in comparison to Pierce Brosnan, seven times a night. Yeah. Piers looks
0: at that <laughs> seven times an He's
1: hour. Like, <laughs> yeah. That was six to seven. Yeah. Now we got the after dinner. Pick your game up,
0: Craig. You replaced <laughs> me as Bond. Come on, I think that's how Barbara and Michael cast Bond. All right, ex-girlfriends. How many times can you have sex in a night? Oh, five times a night. Good job, Henry Cavill. Seven times a night, Daniel Craig. Oh, you
1: got the job. You are hired. And, and now it's just because you sit next to Daniel Craig at Wimbledon. And yeah. he, cast.
0: <laughs> he was looking a bit old at Wimbledon. Did you see that? Like he just—he was looking I a mean, bit. He is old though. He's like. 50 something. I, I know, but like, I'd like to see like my James Bond's age distinguished. Pierce Brosnan. I don't look at that man <laughs> and go, he looks, he looks distinguished and refined and still very doable with Daniel Craig. I'm like, More. Oh, Boy. Hey, Hey, come on. He was <laughs> old in a view to a kid. We knew what he looked like when he was old. Yeah. That was different.
1: Yeah. We, we lived through the bond era. Of it, wasn't, old. It, wasn't <laughs> a surpri- it
0: wasn't a surprise when we saw him old, right? Like, <laughs> we, we already saw that. Um, so, yes, James Hunt and Olivia Wilde are married. Um, oh, <laughs> happy days for them. Um, I might just sort of, oh, I'll, I'll, let's go to when Nicky Louder meets his wife, shall we? That's like a third of the movie. Um, I love the Ferrari stuff. So this is actually like a pretty good, uh, almost like a backdoor pilot, I feel, for when we do the Enzo Ferrari movie later this year when it comes out, because... We see Nicky Lauda. We hear that he, like, at his wedding. Oh, by the way, Nicky Lauda got signed up for Ferrari. Thanks for telling me on my wedding day. That's a nice thing to learn. (laughs) Um, So he shows up to Ferrari. And, again, true story sort of going along there with Clay Regazzoni as well. But I love kind of this uh, bit when he's driving along the track and you get this glimpse of Enzo Ferrari. Remember him? Because Adam Driver will be this man later on in the year. And whoever, like... The actor who plays him, which I'm trying to find who he is, they've done a pretty good job at making him look like Enzo Ferrari. I don't know if you remember when we did Ford v. Ferrari, I was a bit like critical of the fact that the guy they got to play Enzo Ferrari didn't really look like Enzo Ferrari. I mean, don't
1: you just have to have grey hair, sunglasses, and look unhappy? Yeah, well, but I mean, I still (laughs) this guy does it better than the guy
0: in Ford v. Ferrari. (laughs) Um, And a driver, what a dish. She's going to pull it off well. (laughs) Um, But I like how he's like driving down the street and he gets out of the car and he's like, this is a shitbox. What are you doing? Which apparently is true. Like I've read lots of reports that that is what Nicky Louder... Because he's very honest. He like, he doesn't do it. uh, Doesn't hold back. And I love the little bit when he's sitting in the car and like the mechanics sort of look at him and he's like, ooh. And then Nicky Lauder does the impersonation of, ooh, what? (laughs) <laughs> um, but then we do the press conference with the giant Ferrari banners and just like, oh, we are happy to welcome. Well, he's not German, he's Italian. Hey, we are happy to welcome to the Ferrari family, a Niki Lauda and Claire Racatoni. And they just sort kind of like nod. Um, and I guess we kind of get this set up here of Nicky Lauda being a bit of a recluse, being a bit of a just like, you know, he's methodical. He, he wants to do the job. He doesn't want to party. And this is kind of the... Difference between James Hunt and Nicky Lauda, that James Hunt is partying all the time and he's Eddie Murphy, apparently. I want to party all the time. (laughs) What a song. Great song. Um, And so he gets taken to this party and Claire Reguison is like, hey, I think he's Argentinian from memory. Like, oh, hey, was he Argentinian or Italian? I'm thinking Carlos Carl was Argentinian. Sounds Italian. Maybe he's Italian. Um, I thought he was, maybe, I don't know. Who am I thinking he's Argentinian? Carlos Reutemann was Argentinian.
1: Um, uh so he's Swiss apparently Swiss Cle uh, rizon confused Swiss.
0: Argentinian Italian Swiss
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> all the same
0: <laughs> got holes in them um as a cheese joke by the way uh, <laughs> God six of the Roger Federer jokes Ben when it comes to Switzerland <laughs> uh, so he's like oh, I brought you to this party to try and loosen up and uh, this is I feel this is a Colin thing. shows up to a party and sees someone leaving. are you leaving? I'm leaving yeah you <laughs> gonna get a ride with you. <laughs> Uh, but the difference is I don't think Colin does it with an attractive woman. Like, oh, no, it's a woman. Oh, it's a man. He wants Jay- to be. Jamie? <laughs> well, did you get a ride with her? Is that how you <laughs> met her? No. You, you, she sexually harassed you at work from what I remember. <laughs> yeah,
1: that, that's true.
0: <laughs> you still. Were, at least when you eventually divorce you can finally go to HR and probably get a settlement. <laughs> uh, so win-win for you in the divorce. Um, but so he, he meets uh, a woman uh, <laughs> who I like this woman. Um mm. which is uh Alexandra Maria Lara playing Marlene Lauda. Do we, is she
1: off things? Yeah, so I Geostorm. And I, I, think Geostorm? I, had to, and I definitely was not Geostorm I recognize her from, although we might have mentioned during Geostorm that she was in Rush, but uh, as I'm watching this, I had I had this flashback. I'm like, why well, do I remember watching this in 2013 and recognizing this woman as well? But I don't know if you ever saw it again. Another great German movie of the early 2000s, Downfall, the movie about uh, Hitler. Uh
0: we were meant to see it in history, never did. But I've seen the uh, Hitler scene oh, okay. like 30,000 times. The bunker scene, the meme scene, right? Yeah, I, I, it's it, on my life. Is... I've always wanted to see it.
1: I mean, technically, she's like the female lead of that movie. It's almost told from her point of view because she was like Hitler's secretary or whatever. But that movie is just, oh, a, a perfect, literally a perfect movie. I mean, if we were to do movies of the century, that movie might still be in my top 10, maybe even top five. But that that's what I recognize it from it. The only other thing I look at here is I'm like Geostorm. I'm like, I'm really trying hard to forget that movie.
0: <laughs> Always try and forget that movie. Um, but is, I saw like some list recently of like top 10 like historically accurate films that are very close to being accurate and I always put Downfall on that list. Yeah. as like a very uh close to being accurate movie but I like her. She's uh, and she's quite attractive too. Same. So is Daniel Brawl. i I'm just both they're, of these people they're are very attractive, attractive together. In the car. This is a sexy <laughs> couple, all
1: right? Just This this is this is Germany's Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Yeah, Austria
0: is Colin. Austria.
1: <laughs> well, they're the actors are German.
0: Well, in the movie, they're Austrian, right? Get it right. <laughs> well, I don't know if Nicky Lauda's wife was Austrian, I'm assuming. Or well, maybe he married a German. Good for him. Multicultural in Europe. Is Austria and Germany really multicultural though? Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You don't consider Germany and Austria as like multicultural of countries based on their history? Well, Germany, sorry, Austria. I know you weren't really, uh, you know... Uh, yeah, now you're, <laughs> you're
1: grouping them in. <laughs> I wasn't really volunteering. <laughs> you're like, oh, I feel bad for all these Austrians. Everybody always calls them Germans. you are like, oh, Austria and Germany, one and the same. I'm just thinking, like, all these poor Austrians are going like, racist Austrians,
0: Ben? Ignore that famous... I don't think you go to, like, the Austrian, like, the Vienna Museum. Famous Austrians. <laughs> Number one, Adolf Hitler. Oh, I shouldn't do that, sign, that hand <laughs> when I do that. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, I get what? Who is the most famous? Who's that? Um, that skier? Oh, Schwarzenegger. Oh, duh. But there's that skier. Is that, Uh, Helmut, uh, Her- Meyer. What's his name? Wasn't he Austrian? So,
1: I'm looking. The in order, the most famous Austrians are Mozart, oh. Sigmund Freud, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah. So Schwarzenegger's third on the list behind Freud Mon- and Mozart. I'm Monster.
0: P- Who's the skier? Who's that downhill skier? Herman Meyer. Well, he was Austrian, wasn't he?
1: Uh, I'm gonna look up skier. famous Austrian skier. Ma- um, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a Red Bull's Austrian.
0: So Red Bull's very famous.
1: <laughs> the Red Bull, the person, uh, Dietrich Mateschitz, <laughs> the owner
0: of Red Bull, who died recently. Uh, but the company Red Bull's Austrian. So there
1: is a very long list of famous Austrian <laughs> skiers. Oh, it's is it
0: like a uh, my oh he won like gold in the 90s, like downhill skier, very famous.
1: <laughs> uh to be continued
0: <laughs> oh god i i know I, i'm pretty sure it's like a yeah anyway.
1: herman Mayer. herman Mayer. there that's yeah. the guy nagano nagano, nagano. Yeah. that's what it was you knew like
0: that was like the the, the 90s when you kind of had these like larger than life um austrian and like german and italian skiers that were just like kicking yeah. an ass and no but anyway uh, Skiing Oz, coming soon, a spin-off of the <laughs> <laughs> off We the call podium. that off the
1: podium otherwise. No, I've never heard of it. Uh, <laughs> that
0: award-winning show that we do. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Nicky Loud has met his wife. They're driving around and kind of I love this scene when she's like just singing in the radio, on the radio, the hills are alive. That was Austrian, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> <a> Swiss. <laughs>
1: was that Swiss as
0: well? Where was Sound what? of Music set?
1: So- austria doesn't have its own identity they'll just take whatever's oh, around so bad for
0: <laughs> austria i have nothing against austria i would love to go to Austria. it's one of like these random european countries that you know everyone's like oh i'm going to france i'm going to italy like i would love to go to austria
1: uh, sound of music is austria Yay! there you go we're learning the, the, so the,
0: much about austria today
1: forget hitler the von traps <laughs> exactly julie uh, what's her name them. nibbles <laughs> Her, Herman, Herman Mayer or whatever is more famous than the Von Trapp family in Austria. <laughs> Probably.
0: I mean, like, I don't know. <laughs> Vienna seems like a beautiful city. Um, that's the only city I know in Austria. Um, it's a great Billy Joel song too. It is. There's also, uh, isn't there a chocolate type of cake called a Vienna, like a Vienna cake? Yeah, oh, Vien-
1: Sausage. <laughs> Schwarzenegger. (laughs) It's a a beautiful. They got to rename. I want them to rename the Vienna sausage to Schwarzenegger. (laughs) Pay
0: more attention to Austria, people. Like, seriously, like, we'll be your tourist spokesperson. Hi, I'm Ben from Off the Podium and the Oz (laughs) Network and the qualifying lap. I implore you to visit Austria. Thanks.
1: This, this episode has been brought to you by Tourism Australia. I call it Australia now. I oh. can't even get the names right. Are oh, they confused, as Germany. They're they're confused as
0: Australia. Germany? Like, are they the most confused nation West. on the planet? Like, seriously, come on. Like, ah, oh. Everyone, go to Austria. Tomorrow, just wake up and book a flight to Vienna. I don't care where you are, go there. Austria. That's my new favorite country. Austria. Aw. Oh. Anyway, I'm going to drink a Red Bull tonight. Uh, probably helps their economy. Every time you drink a Red Bull, it gives—it uh, doesn't give you wings. It gives Austria money. That's the-
1: oh, I swore I heard you say it helped Sarah Connor <laughs> what? in her battle against Austrian Arnold Schwarzenegger. Make Fran Drescher? <laughs> Come with me if you want to live.
0: Ah. <laughs> What a woman. I mean, she's got some Austrian blood. Let's get her back on the show. Hi, Fran. Keep <laughs> fighting the fight for SAG. By the way, do you have any Austrian blood in you? Oh, d- drescher sounds like it could be, like, German or Austrian. Like, that's got, like, a sort of Germanic flavor to it. Drescher, doesn't it? Or is that racist? Probably uh, racist in 2023?
1: Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Um, I think <laughs> considering her family is Jewish, maybe not. Um, but Romanian. Well, you know, they were still... Jewish people That's in those countries re- before Romania, the 30s, re- <laughs> close enough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are now. I'm sure they have you know <laughs> repopulated the countries nearly a hundred years later. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Ah, uh, so Jemmy <laughs> is in the car. <laughs> but I love it when like he's like going like, oh, what is that noise? That's your fan belt. It's gone, and your tyres. And she's like, oh, shut up! I had a service the other the other week, and this car is in perfect working order. Car blows up. Um, they're waiting by the side of the road. No one's pulling over. She's all like, oh, watch and learn. I'm a hot woman. This is Italy all of a sudden. She's all like, ah. And this car like pulls over and she's like, what did I tell you? And all of a sudden these people get out of the car. Eh, hey, Nicolauda. Which, I mean, again, if you are in Italy and you are a Ferrari driver, you are basically the most famous person in that country. That's how much they mm. love Ferrari. So uh, the book that I'm I'm reading the Enzo Ferrari book right now. And as they basically say in the book, the two most famous people in Italy were the Pope, and Enzo Ferrari. So <laughs> that's how. Reviewed and then
1: Stalin. <laughs> uh,
0: that's Russia, Colin. You're thinking of Mussolini. Um,
1: <laughs> oh, Mussolini. That's
0: right. <laughs> wow. Oh, I'm stuck
1: on. I'm stuck on. <laughs> Goodbye, Lenin. Still, <laughs> Daniel Bruhl.
0: Okay, so we're pissed off Germany. We're pissed <laughs> off Austria. We're pissed off Switzerland. And now we're pissed <laughs> off the Italians. Um, wow. Know your <laughs> dictators, Colin.
1: But uh, they—they'd probably rather Stalin over Mussolini, right? Yeah, that Is that man, an upgrade?
0: Yeah, let's be honest. Mussolini doesn't have the best reputation. Uh, Stalin—that oh. man got shit done. Uh. <laughs> I,
1: I, I think I think Mussolini's the only one of those those Axis of Evil guys that was like cut into pieces and yeah. hung from the corners of the
0: country. Well, that's basically yeah. what the why Hitler didn't want to do that because they saw what they did to. Yeah. You know, I mean, all dictators deserve that, but other dictators go out like a man. They kill themselves in a bunker. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. How did Stalin and Lenin die? Isn't Lenin like mummified in a museum in Moscow still or something? like that, <laughs> it's that Simpsons episode where it's like Russia have been waiting to become the Soviet Union. And they press a button and all the tanks like come out and they're like, they turn into like the Soviet Union again. Oh, oh it's, no, no. It's Like Russia, we've been waiting for the time and you press <laughs> a button, and you see all like the, the giant, like happy bears turn back into the Lenin tanks and Lenin like wakes up and it's all like, ah, oh, I'm back. And yeah. anyway, the Simpsons, um, but yes, the so Nicky Lauda meets his woman for the first time. And we've got these great. And I love it when she's all like, oh, you're a Formula One driver. You're, you're not a Formula One driver. You know, they're all playboys yeah. and pretty. You can't drive fast. And he's all like, oh, what's this woman? It's like, Driving along. And then next minute they're having sex. So uh, That's once,
1: what it was.
0: Once I learn how to drive fast, maybe I'll get to have sex. Noah, if you're <laughs> listening, there's a tip for you. Uh, that's about a third of the movie. <laughs> but uh, pretty much the rest of this movie is racing. So uh, there you go
1: uh yeah so i mean one of the things that threw me off of this movie where i i walked away i'm not gonna say disappointed in the movie but thinking like ah oh, there was probably a better way to do this because i loved the way they introduced both of these characters not even back to back you get like hunt's opening of the movie and after he's introduced they kind of do this voiceover thing it's like all right and he now now time for my background like it's just cutting in and it almost reminded me of um uh what was that movie um we covered it too. Um, yeah, uh just the one. Uh, no, no, we. I don't think we did cover. We we talked about it, but into the Spider Verse, we're into the Spider Verse every time a new Spider Man was introduced. So like, all right, let's do this again. So I was bit by a radioactive spider and this and this and that. And that's kind of what this reminded me of. Where Hunt was like, oh, my father didn't want me to do this. My mother didn't want me to do this. So I ended up doing it anyways. And then they do the same thing for Lauda after that. And I kind of wish we'd had a little bit more of that back and forth narration because it, it's a tricky movie. You you basically have a sports biopic told from two different characters point of view, and they're both equal screen time. They're both leads. And I wish you'd had a little bit more of that there. Narr- Cause you start a movie with narration. They don't have narration ever again. The only point in the movie where I feel like it helped to not have the narration is like the hospital scenes and how that leads to them meeting up again. But mm-hmm. other than that, like, I wanted more of this, like them narrating in this kind of fun, quirky style where they're almost aware I'm narrating to an audience right now. Um, some of the names here, like this is, this is, uh, so 70s there is a guy named Bubbles Horsley uh, that is the best name ever and then you have the other guy what is it General Hux here the, the billionaire dude where, uh, where, where I can't remember was it where Nikki Loud was asking who is that, ma- who is that man uh, and he's like this is James Simon Wallace Hunt <laughs> so he's like so exuberant about introducing me like he's his herald James Wallace Hunt <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, Noah would hate this guy he's so snooty <laughs> Uh, I I was kind of confused about like the no sponsorship thing, but I mean, that does become a point of the movie later on that like basically, oh yeah, like, so I knew we said we could fund everything, but we forgot to carry the two and (laughs) now we kind of have to close up shop. Uh, But I mean, I I just assumed everybody's going to need the money. And I also kind of figured, well, Lauda has the money. How does this guy, I, I don't know how much the movie, maybe I just blinked for a minute or the dog was barking and I I didn't catch that this guy was funding it, I guess, out of his own pocket. Is that what it is?
0: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think his family was wealthy. I mean, Nicky Lauda went on to run an airline in Austria for a while. So like he became very wealthy and made a lot of money outside of Formula One. But I think his family had money as well. So okay. He basically bought himself into it, which I mean, he he had driven Formula One races before. Cause again, it was, it was a different beast back in the way you could enter the sport, but like, this is sort of how we got like a, a full-time drive mm. essentially. So yeah.
1: Like I, I feel like this movie could have been condensed just as the entire movie is that one season. Cause the documentary really just made a point that this was the biggest, most memorable season in the sports history. Uh, it's a legendary season and just make a movie about that. But some of this early stuff here, just where the timeline is jumping all over the place. And this is a complaint I have just with biopics in general Um I think sports biopics, I give a little bit more of a free pass to because they tend to focus more on just an individual event, but I hate biopics jumping all over the place because in reality, if you're watching, if I'm watching a movie, I don't care if it's a biopic or if it's a fictional story. I just want it to be a movie. And I feel like biopics just break the rules or like, oh, now we got this movie taking place over 40 plus years. And so some of this early stuff, I like the introduction where like we're formula three drivers, but I feel like the next time you should just have a flash forward. And instead of trying to make it where- okay, the next time they race now, we're Formula 2. And the next time they race, like, oh, we both made it to Formula 1. Like, just have that introduction to show these guys don't like each other and then jump ahead, like, I think it's like four or five years. But the movie doesn't tell you how far you're jumping ahead and you're just suddenly like, wait, they're both the best drivers on the planet now? Like, where is the build for this? I'm not saying I wanted that build. I, I kind of like that this is just a two-hour movie. But then that they- Ron Howard kind of presented this like it was going to be one of these all E-style three-hour sports biopics, and it maybe cram too much information there and you have to cut a bunch of stuff out. Um, but I mean the the, the dialogue is just the way they they uh set up the characters is brilliant. Like every time Lauda speaks, like you understand who this guy is. And I didn't see anything about the real Nikki Lauda until after I saw this. I just thought this is a brilliant performance from Daniel Brule. Because there's a way that he has humor in his performance, like even when he's yelling at Hunt in that opening scene, like, oh, you cut me off, you're not, you're, I'm, I'm doing, I, I'm slipping into, like, he's Asian, you're not safe driving, <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's Asian and
0: pissed off, uh,
1: <laughs> I finally have an, Aust- I, my one accent is Austrian, and I can't do it, <laughs> wow, um, Thank but, God uh, <laughs> but when he, when he's getting angry with him, like, there's a way that he speaks, where, Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. here we go, yeah. I, I've channeled my loud and I, uh, 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 stop cutting me off. <laughs> it's not a tumor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the, all the lines he has written, I kind of imagine that another actor, like a Robert Downey Jr. would just be like, "Boom!" like I'm delivering a punchline. But Daniel Brule delivers all these lines where it's like, He's being sincere but it's funnier because he's not trying to make yeah. you laugh but yeah. yet what he's saying is hilarious in all these scenes. And can I kind of say that, uh, that
0: that's what makes his, his well his portrayal of Nicky Lauder so good because Nicky Lauder was like that like even in, yeah. in his older years when he would be interviewed he was never backwards in coming forward to the way he would say things. If you'd said to him mm-hmm. like how's Lewis Hamilton doing? Oh, he's doing quite shit right now but he can improve. <laughs> like he, he literally would not hold back that's just his personality that's how he was.
1: Yeah, like the, the, he's the epitome of tell it like it is. Like yeah. That's one of these phrases that is so overused where people like pride themselves. I tell it like it is. I'm like, no, you tell your opinion. This is a guy who's literally just speaking truth yep. in the most unrefined way possible, you know? Yep. Uh, it, it's just great the, the way that he delivers this performance, even if it is an impression. Like, I hate people who just get given props for an impression, but he's doing more than that in this movie. Like, he is delivering a performance. There's drama to everything he says. Uh, and then the, the little detail about... Uh, Hunt always throwing up where they even say, why is he doing that? It's like, oh, he just does that before every single race. Uh, And that was one of the things that they kind of elaborated on the documentary. They said he was kind of known for always throwing up. The movie kind of condensed it just as the puking thing. But in reality, on camera, he was like the most relaxed guy in the world. But even his pit crew would say, When when we were getting ready, like when he was getting himself in the car and putting on his helmet, the entire car would be shaking because he was so full of nervous energy that he'd be like shaking, like uh, uncontrollably. And it's just so interesting that like they 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 keep it that one little detail instead of trying to show him like that. Just show that the guy says, "No, I'm fine," and then he just barfs before every single race. Because I will start to wonder after a few scenes of this, I'm like, does anything doesn't make this guy barf? Like like oh, you came in third place. Oh, that's good. Like. are we having eggs benedict for breakfast oh oh i love it i can imagine hemsworth they make some of his movie choices (laughs) thor love and thunder's been (laughs) greenlit
0: how big Uh, you want my penis to be in vacation
1: (laughs) sorry that's the other movie that jamie will watch chris hemsworth in even though she knows it's fake i wonder why why. (laughs) uh but yeah just it's a little detail that i just loved about the the character and the personalities they bring out of this um I completely agree with you with Olivia Wilde, She does not need to be in this movie. The purpose she serves is to show that his life is kind of falling apart. But like, if this movie wasn't showing that before he met her, I would get that you needed that, Mm. but you don't need it. You just have to show that this is a guy who's drunk every single night and doesn't care about much. And it's kind of his personality. Like it, it, it is, something that's needed with Lauda's character with the wife, even though both of them serve the exact same role, they speak like six lines in the movie and they spend most of the movie just giving that worried look. It's a lot like I mentioned Sylvia in The Truman Show was. Like, she doesn't do anything in the movie. She just stares, you know, at the screen looking concerned. I I feel like Lauda's wife, uh, um, uh, Alexandra Maria um, Laura Crofta or whatever her name is, uh, I feel like she belongs more in the movie, whereas Olivia Wilde, like she's in two scenes and then she's gone. And the way they write her out, I mean, that was a very real life story. I guess a big media thing that like it brought some of the truth to it, but there's other real life things that I found out about where I'm like, no, keep that in the movie. I don't need to know about his divorce. I mean, it's just an excuse. One of the things I read was that Ron Howard wanted a very famous actor. He'd worked with twice prior to this movie to cameo as the man who broke up Hunt's marriage, (laughs) which we'll get to in a bit, which could be fun to imagine who that is. But uh, uh,
0: tell me, I I don't know even know about that.
1: So, I mean, Richard Burton, the yeah. the actor who later we'll get to, I'm jumping the gun here, but Richard Burton was notorious for breaking up marriages. He broke up uh, Carrie Fisher's parents' marriage, uh, He uh, or Elizabeth Taylor broke up Carrie Fisher's parents' marriage, and then uh, Richard Burton broke up Carrie Fisher's father's affair with Elizabeth Taylor, and so on and so on, and then, uh, and then Nikki Lauda's wife broke up Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, <laughs> so this guy was like ultimate playboy, which is kind of a part of this movie, but Russell Crowe ah. was supposed to cameo as him in this movie. And Falling when I read that, I'm like, <laughs> I I, I want to see if they actually film that scene, because it makes sense if you want to have Russell Crowe in there. Oh, we need a cheap cameo. But without him, Olivia Wilde not being famous in 2013, like this scene, her scenes don't belong at all. And I actually feel like it hurts the movie. I, I'm all for let's give development to female characters. Like a lot of, times movies are criticized because oh there's no female characters i'm i'm no more against that than movies that don't have any male characters if it's a female-led film you know uh in in a case like this this just feels like we need to satisfy a quota so we're gonna put a wife on both sides because we need this many female characters and
0: she doesn't belong in the movie i I agree, and i'm not backtracking what i say i completely agree i think i mean the only reason you've got this in there is because it's the famous story about her leaving him for richard burton Mm -hmm. like that to me like would be, oh, why didn't you portray this? Like they've literally just gone like, well, this was very much tied to him. And yeah, it's about personalizing him. But like the thing that kind of annoys me jumping ahead is sort of when they break up or whatever. And they, she kind of says like, oh, it's this, it's the infidelity. Like you don't actually see him cheating on her. Like you kind of get this scene after they divorce of him, like, oh, I'm sad. So I'm going to have sex with women. Like, I mean, how does that make him bad? Like he's single now and he can do what he wants. Like you never see him cheating on her. Like, maybe you need to see that, which I don't know. Like, cause it's kind of like with the Elvis film. Like I never realized Elvis cheated on Lisa Marie and you kind of see that. you're like, Oh, yeah. okay. So you kind of think about him a little bit differently here. You only hear her say it in passing and it's, it's odd. Like, and you see her watching it at the end of the movie. Like, okay, cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Bringing her back hurt it even more like this. I, I don't need their personal lives. And you could have taken the extra four minutes of screen time and given us one or two other sequences that, that build up this season more. Um, but, uh, again, like you said, Richard Burton, incredibly famous man, especially for breaking up marriages. So you got to show this as being a part of it. Wasn't he
0: renowned as having a really large dong? Was that Richard Burton?
1: I mean, I could, I I could imagine. Mm. (laughs) I mean, if you ever seen Richard Burton, he looks like he's got a big dong. (laughs) Did
0: you know, um, that you know how like a nickname for a penis is a Johnson? Mm -hmm. Did you know that is because Lyndon B. Johnson had a very large penis? And so really? That is apparently where that comes from. Like how like, a teddy bear is called a teddy bear because of Teddy Roosevelt. Oh. Apparently, the nickname Johnson for a penis comes from <laughs> Lyndon B. Johnson having a very large penis. How,
1: how much more does the rivalry between Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson make oh, sense Kennedy now? Kennedy had a little you wang,
0: know, let's the, be honest. The type of small.
1: personality Kennedy was, Kennedy is out there trying to bang Marilyn Monroe and meanwhile she's like, ooh, Lyndon, come here, I've heard like,
0: about you. I think it just comes from the level that you know JFK was a good-looking rooster, right? So like, and you know, a bit personable. He was a poly, you know that's what he got, but he had he had a little dick. It's kind of like Jason Momoa, yeah. <laughs> like when you're that good-looking and that buff and everything, you can't have all of, all the things. It was Linda B. Johnson, not the most attractive man on the planet, but he's a bit of a personality. Big dude, big dick, and like yeah. <laughs> to me, like it's all well and good having a big penis. I would know, but like to have your like, no one's calling your dick a Ben. Or a (laughs) waterworks. He's like people. Like all of a sudden, I take my pants off, and James like, "Oh, Ben, that's a big Johnson." Like, I mean, that's a that's a big compliment to have a penis nickname named after you. So, LBJ, Uh. all the way with LBJ.
1: Wow, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to look at the Johnson the same again.
0: I the, the one presidential library I've been to in the US when I was in Austin, Texas. I went to the LBJ Presidential Library. There was nothing about was his big. giant
1: dick in that.
0: I'm like, <laughs> missing a missing an exhibition at that one. But there you go. Fun facts you learn.
1: His library was twice the size of Kennedy's. That yeah. was the most important part. <laughs> George W. Bush's uh, was tiny. Anyways, yeah. So point being, I you cut this out of the movie completely. And maybe just focus more on Lauda's relationship with his wife, because that's the more interesting one. I I this this sequence I love. Uh the way that they get introduced to everything, like him coming to the party, which that's another thing that I think is maybe slightly exaggerated in the movie. Like uh some of the behind the scenes footage that they show of I don't know if it was at the end of this movie or if it wasn't one of the documentaries. Uh you see him at these events and he's he's smiling, he's talking to people like Lauda is, but like you could just tell he's like, Oh, this isn't my scene, but I'm gonna do it for you know uh publicity reasons or whatever. Uh, But the fact that he gets introduced, like, again, everything you need to know about these characters is done with the littlest things, a guy throwing up, a guy just being willing to walk out of the party and then pick up a woman on the way home. And then the way that when they're driving, um, the car breaks down after he said it would break down. And then, like, I don't know how – I think you you kind of just alluded towards it, but when those guys come, uh, the the hitchhiking or whatever, basically she says to Nikki, all right, hide behind the car and I'll get their attention. You get, like, hot German lady on the – or Austrian lady, sorry, on the side of the road – and she's flagging them down these two guys get out of the car it's like hey and then they just walk right past her it's like you're nikki lauda I'm like, That's I, great.
0: i'm telling you now i'd be doing the same if i'm driving down the road and you're not gonna know who i'm gonna mention <laughs> here but if i'm driving around this i'm like hot woman and i see charlotte claire standing there and I'm like hey hot woman charlotte <laughs> how you doing ferrari get in my car drive in my car come on
1: i mean you know I, I, in all honesty if i'm driving down the side of the road and i see that furla point sisters cars broken down and I see Mikhail Kingsbury is hiding in the background. I'm walking past the Deferral Point sisters to Mikel Kingsbury. You've already
0: spent an hour with the Deferral Point sisters, Colin.
1: That's right. I need my hour with Kingsbury. <laughs> the Kings got out. <laughs> uh, but I mean, even though, like, realistically, I watched that scene twice, I'm like, there is no way they ever saw him there. But it, again, it's such a fun scene the way that they introduce him, like, his future wife's being snubbed. And then the, the whole car ride after that, where it's like, no, uh, race car drivers are sexy and <laughs> have their shirts off and stuff like that. Uh, and it, he also uh, when she's sort of challenging him to drive here, uh, like I guess th- there's only a few moments in this movie that show he does have a bit of an ego because I guess I don't know if that was his reputation. He was a guy with an ego built more on confidence than it was based on arrogance. Mm. But like when she's challenging him, and just like no, I'm not, you're not paying me <laughs> the way he again. It's one of these things with the way he says it and delivers it. It's like it could be delivered as like a boom, but it's like pay me and then I'll I'll show off a drive. But then again, she kind of eggs him on and he does it. It's it's a great way of introducing it. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know. The only other question I had here was that, um, the, uh, the, the whole louder thing when he comes onto the Ferrari team and then the other guy comes with him, like both when they're on the previous team, I feel like that was formula B or formula two no, or whatever they, it was. No, no,
0: no, That was, that was formula one still BRM.
1: But like, mm. was he, was it supposed to be, he was like the B driver cause you know that they'll they'll have teams like even driven kind of showed that you have yeah. your one driver that's your star and the other one's the supporter. It's yeah, but
0: Formula 1 teams will have two drivers and and generally there's the number 1 and the number 2 driver, right? Mm. Um a lot but of do they team...
1: tag team it like is it strategic?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Formula 1 is a team sport even though most people don't really realize that because you you know the drivers are fighting for a drivers championship, there's also a teams championship as well. Um mm. so like I think your quotes before about these are just employees and kind of, you know, they're not people like yeah. Enzo Ferrari. Like there's a, there's a bit in this movie where they mentioned that um, Carlos Reutemann was basically brought in while Nicky Ladd was being helicoptered to the hospital. That's legitimately true. Cause Enzo Ferrari was infamous for that. Like he just was just like, Oh, you, you, you know, Ferrari is what I care about. I don't care about you as a driver. If you're not yeah. working for Ferrari. Um, Cause like even like, was it, I think they mentioned in this movie, like that, that's how Ferrari works um so well,
1: they, the, right after the accident the press conference like the accident he even says yeah. oh they replaced me what before i hit the hospital yeah
0: because that that's that and that was a that was a true story so yeah they kind of will have like a number one and number two driver and i'm pretty sure that this was kind of like a package deal when they got Regazzoni to ferrari he was the one who was kind of like like bring Nikki with with us so i'm really sure like that and that this is, is w- I, I
1: i i really feel like i'm a hypocrite half the time because whenever i see a movie that's like Indiana Jones uh, Dial of Destiny. I'm like, that movie was way too long. And then I'll see a movie that's shorter. I'm like, that movie should have been longer, you know? Uh, But uh, this is one of these movies where I'm like, I I like that it's two hours, but this feels like it needed to be a little longer. Let's, Show a little bit of that development. Like, how does this this Clay R- Rigatoni guy, how does he respond when all of a sudden Nikki is eclipsing him when he's supposed to be the number two to him being number one?
0: Yeah, you could definitely delve into that. But I think the interesting thing about this movie, you touched on it before, sort of like, you know, going over the timeline. I mean, this movie is sort of targeted as, oh, let's showcase an epic 1976 season. It's like 47 mm-hmm. minutes until we even get to that uh, sort of season, yeah. which is, I'm going to be very intrigued about this Enzo Ferrari movie this year because it's sort of, it is kind of based on a very short period of Enzo Ferrari's life. So, but will they stick to that or will they kind of like showcase more of a thing? I mean, I guess we saw that with Ford v Ferrari. It was kind of very Mm -hmm. much specific on that period and that famous Le Mans race in 1966 as well. But it was sort of, yeah, I'll be intrigued to see because I mean, I guess Enzo Ferrari is a man, you could do a very long winded movie on him and everything. It's funny in the book I'm reading right now about him meeting his wife who, of course, is going to be played by Penelope Cruz in the movie. Um, and it sounds like they've met and gotten married and within a few years they're very unhappy with each other. And, like, this movie is set, like, 30 years after they've been married. So, um, obviously, by this point, Penelope Cruz is not going to like Adam Driver, I think. <laughs> we'll get to the that bit. Um, so, basically, um, yeah, it's, you touched on that point where I do think it's kind of more interesting seeing Nikki Lauder with his wife because, you kind of get a lot of these shots of Nikki Lauda almost longingly looking at James Hunt when he's off partying and that sort of stuff. You get that mm-hmm. scene when he shows up to the circuit and he's kind of flirting with that, uh, you know, wanting to go out with the desk clerk. And Claire Regazzoni is like, "Oh, don't touch her." There's this Formula Two driver called James Hunt who's oh, been yeah. banging her behind the um, So it's kind of like even like this rivalry where, and you never expressly hear like an inner monologue of Nikki Lauda going like, "Oh, I wanted to bang all the women, but James <laughs> Hunt was banging them all. Like I was so disappointed." <laughs> uh, he turns to the camera. Does a um does a confessional? Uh, I should also mention quickly when um you see oh no we haven't been introduced into yet that's why I've mentioned him never mind I'm jumping ahead of myself. There's a guy I want to talk about an actor. Um, Niki Lauda wins the Formula One championship for Ferrari in 1974 uh, or 1975 I should say. True. Uh, he's having a party. Uh, James Hunt and him have a bit of a back and forth about it, and then sort of James Hunt sort of says like oh it's just the car. Like, you know, that's why you won. And Nicky Ladder's like, oh, you know, it's not just the car. I've got to engineer the car to be this way. And James, I'm like, oh, put us in equal machinery. And again, that's another, it's always in a debate in Formula One. Like, you know, is it the car? Is it the driver? It's, it's, there are mm-hmm. definitely times, like at the moment, at the time of recording this, Red Bull have literally won every race this season. They've got a very good car. They're very far ahead of the field. This might not date very well because we're recording this the day of the Hungarian Grand Prix. So if Max Verstappen doesn't win tonight and I've broken that streak, sorry, Max Verstappen, don't come after me. Um, But like, it's always a debate. So I kind of like how they kind of throw this into the movie. But then this is where we find out that Hesketh have gone bankrupt because they don't have any sponsors. So poor old James Hunt is without a drive. So he's ringing up everybody and he gets to go to McLaren which I don't know the ins and outs of this is how he we actually went to McLaren. I feel this isn't true. I feel yeah. like he would have been, cause he did win a race for Hesketh this season, which you don't ever see him win a race for Hesketh. So I'm not, uh, does the documentary touch on that? Cause I, I don't. Think, it did. It's, yeah.
1: It was actually very close. It basically sounded a lot like this, except it not quite as elaborate. Like it, it came down to the same thing. It's like, Oh, we didn't have, you know, money for a car and they had no driver. It was basically like, we have no options this is the only driver who's available. And it's like, this is the only, you know, uh, sponsorship or whatever, that, or the only car that doesn't have a driver. The only difference being is like, they were very hesitant, but they described it as basically without them even discussing anything. Hunt just calls up the, the other guy here and says, so I guess I'm your new driver. And he's, he's like, well, yeah, I guess you are. Cause they're both real realize we have no other options.
0: Right. Okay. M- M- McLaren outside of Ferrari is the most famous formula one team there is. They've been around, since the 60s started by a Kiwi, uh, which I don't think many people realize So Bruce McLaren actually was a New Zealander, uh, started the team in the sixties and still going in formula one today. They haven't been successful in a while, but they also like, if you've heard of, uh, they do sports cars now, very fancy sports cars. They race an Indy car at the moment as well. So they've really expanded, but, uh, very behind Ferrari in terms of most successful Formula One teams of all time. Growing up in my household, I would not say the word McLaren. It was a swear word to me because they were Michael Schumacher and Ferrari's biggest rivals, and I hated them. See, we're not a huge fan of McLaren. They're not my favourite team. When Australia's Daniel Ricciardo drove for them, I wasn't too happy. And there's currently another Australian driving for them right now, Oscar Piastri, but uh, I don't hate them as much as I did when I was a kid, I guess. But um, did you recognise one of the actors who is uh, the guy who says fuck a lot? Uh, when you, when you, cause you've never seen episodes, have you? The Matt LeBlanc No, never have. So Stephen Mangan, uh, or Stefan Mangan, I don't know if it's Stephen or Stephen. I think it's Stephen Mangan. Uh, he's basically the main guy, uh, in episodes alongside, uh, I can't remember the actress's name, the the main woman in that show uh, alongside Matt LeBlanc. So, and he's great in that show. Um, but he's, yeah, he's the mechanic who basically is just like, and we're going to go out there and we're going to fucking win and you're going to fucking do this and you're going to fucking, he's the one who says fuck all the time. So have you seen him in anything else? Like, did you recognize him from anything else as well? Because like, um, I think he's been around for a bit, this guy.
1: He didn't really, uh, like, I didn't recognize him. I'm looking. I've seen a couple of these. Obviously, Billy Elliot. Uh, most people have seen that. Uh, other than that, literally nothing here that I would know him from. I, I he's good, though. I like him in this movie.
0: Can't recommend episodes enough. Uh, that's definitely a show you should put on your list to uh, to watch. Um, so uh, James has joined McLaren, and this is kind of where we get this sort of condensed 1976 season, which I I like the style that they do this in. I like kind of the way they put the graphics on the screen, very 70s. Kind of got that real feel. If you Mm. ever go back and look at classic racing posters, it was kind of a thing back in the day. Every Grand Prix would have a poster. A lot of the Formula 1 teams now on Instagram will sort of in in a week of a Grand Prix will do a stylized like 60s, 70s Formula 1 style poster. Um, And you're here in uh, Interlagos, which is still a real circuit today in Formula 1, uh, in Brazil, and James Hunt's, like, on the grid dancing with, like, the carnival girls. Not gay, uh, if you're listening, Noah. Uh, this is just Brazil. They're very flamboyant people. It's not a gay thing. Uh, it's just... Just in uh,
1: case Max Dawson's listening, that was something that Noah said. Exactly. Not Ben. <laughs> the one
0: episode that Max Dawson lives I'm going to get a tweet in two days. Oh, oh Ben oh, says they're gay. Homophobic Ben. And I'm like, I'm quoting Noah again, alright, <laughs> people. Um, And then James Hunt's a little bit, you know, like, Hey, equal machinery. Look what happened. I'm on pole position. Uh, and I love Nicky Lauda. It's like, Oh, see who's leading into the first, whatever laps. And after five races, we will see who's leading, which is kind of like a good little, um, back and forth between the two. And we get this montage essentially of, um, Nicky Lauda winning pretty much the first five races and James Hunt crashing out, blowing up. And then we're going to get to this race where James Hunt is disqualified for his car being too wide in Spain. Now, fun fact uh, he did really get disqualified in this race, and he never got his points back on. So that was false. So they imply in this movie that they won an appeal to get it back. In real life, never did.
1: Um. Well, I, I was watching the documentary. I actually, I, it's, it kind of gets confusing because the the best sequence in what seems like the real story that was included in this, he also won a race and was disqualified or lost points or whatever. And then that one. So I don't know if they just cut it. Cause of like too many sequences like this. Yeah. I but, think the, uh, the
0: way they imply this championship, like again, I I, I think they kind of em, emblemish it a little bit, like, you know, kind of in the, in the margin and the races and everything along those lines, because I think it's what portrayed it, he's like 50 points down. And then he comes back and wins. it. Because mm-hmm. like, If, if Nicky Louder is still finished second second behind James hunt when he's winning races, he's not closing the gap, James Hunt. He's only yeah. like, you know, doing it a little bit. So um, again, I, I don't know the entire accuracies of how far ahead Louder was of Hunt, um, but I, I know Louder was ahead of him quite a bit, like obviously when he was out injured. And I think he missed six races, five, like it was uh, maybe a few, but uh, obviously when he came back. But uh, we'll get to sort of how all that happens and plays out sort of in the end, the the commentator voice that you do here, sort of over these races is sort of, yeah, meant to be an impression of Murray Walker. Murray Walker had a very distinct voice. And the guy that you kind of see commentating doesn't look super like Murray Walker, but it doesn't look entirely not like Murray Walker either. So I kind of, that always made me as an F1 fan watching this going like, oh, they've kind of got a Murray Walker look alike and a voice sounding thing. That made me happy. Uh, but so, I will say the visuals of this film are fantastic. So the way that, They've managed to sort of portray Monaco, which, again, as I said, still to this day is used as a track. But the, the way they're able to bring that 70s visual style when it was a lot more dangerous. Like If you looked at Monaco now, it's a circuit that if they were to recreate and restart Formula One tomorrow, you would not be racing in Monaco. It is too fucking dangerous. Formula One cars should not be racing there today. But because it's so glamorous and so historical, they will race there and they manage. So, when you see this footage here of kind of like a barrier, like yay high with rocks on the other side of the road, um, you know, that is accurate to the day. And you'll see, like in this movie, how you've got photographers laying on the grass. You've got fans over the Armco barrier. There's no protective fencing. When you go to a Grand Prix now, there's like two layers of fencing in it. And it's styled in a way that a car cannot crash and go through with it because that's happened in the past and tyres have gone through on people, marshals have died. So, you know, it's done that way. And, and even visually some of the crashes here, you see there's a crash where a tire bounces over the fence and nearly takes up some people and smashes the car. Oh, accurate. This is what used to happen. Um, but I don't know. Like, do you have anything to say on the visual aspect? Cause I think they, yeah. there's real racing. They did get sort of historical accurate cars. They got makeshift cars and they mix that obviously with CGI. And then a lot of the TV footage you see is real footage from formula one. So I don't know if like you, I mean the visual style for you, how you like it.
1: It's, it's seamless. Like I, I, couldn't have told what was real. I was sort of watching this thinking, like, oh, they probably use CGI for this, but it's so hard to tell. And this is 10 years ago. I mean, I think CGI we, we've sort of been talking about, it, CGI has just gotten worse and worse <laughs> lately, but uh it looks fantastic. I think one of the other great things is that Ron Howard, he doesn't even in the final race, like what is it, the Japanese Grand Prix, they don't spend a lot of time on it. It's like maybe a four or five minute long scene, maybe six minutes. But outside of that, you're looking at 60 seconds for all these races. And it's very much just, we're going to show you some great action shots or focus just on one lap or whatever. Mm. So you never get so long spent on it where you're picking apart the visuals, but it's so fast paced and in your face, like it gives you the sense of danger, partly just because you're seeing it only in short glimpses throughout the movie.
0: And I think we talked about that with Ford v Ferrari, didn't we? Racing movies are hard to do. Like if you think about kind of what you've got to portray and it's like, Oh yeah, we get it. Cars are fast and they're racing, but I think it is kind of one of the more difficult sports films to put on to film. Because, again, what are you getting from an actor? A close-up of their eyes going, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, it's not like a basketball movie or a football or a hockey movie where you can really get them the nitty-gritty and you can kind of knuckle those out. I mean, I, I, I follow the NFL and I'll watch it, but it's not sort of the four major North American sports. It's not the one I follow closely, but I can't say I've ever disliked an American football movie. They're always done very mm-hmm. well where it's like, oh, I really want to watch the NFL right now. It's always done in a way that they can do that. I don't know if these type of, as a racing fan, I'm going to watch formula one, but I don't know if these are types of movies that someone like yourself or somebody else is watching, which goes, I want to watch formula one because of this movie.
1: Yeah. Well, this is the tricky thing is that in your sports films, slow motion is so common. Like whoever's throwing that touchdown pass, that's always going to be slow motion. You can't do that in a racing movie. It's going to look dumb, and of Lightning it, McQueen it, it was, when he goes
0: across the line with his yeah. tongue. Come on.
1: Which by the way, I was looking through Daniel Brule's filmography and he was the voice of Lightning McQueen in the German dub of cars. No, so Schimacher this isn't even his first, well. he's not, Yeah, he's not even the first, uh, first racing film he's done, but uh, yeah, like it, it's, it, it goes against the sport to show it in slow motion. And that's how you build drama. So, for this movie to pull off i remember that being one of the things that this got a lot of credit for when it came out is that the racing scenes were like so exhilarating because nobody'd properly captured that before like days of thunder to a certain extent that's very stylized very top gun like you know uh but this is something completely different like this is like what's put you right in the seat which is again what you point out though like
0: th- they're actually not that long the racing scenes i, I would i would yeah. argue it's 80% non-racing maybe even more like it's it's sort of for a formula 1 film or racing film the, the racing is actually quite limited. I mean, 4V Ferrari had a lot uh, driven from memory had more than this. <laughs> um, and that was all done on like a windows 95 computer with those special effects. Yeah. So um, it will be interesting to see what this Brad Pitt formula one film does particularly because it's done by the top gun Maverick guy and kind of what he did with the, uh, the, the fighting scenes of the jets and everything. So um, yeah, but like all these scenes and I, it's kind of like an effective montage the way they kind of do it. And sort of since this qualification we see here, McLaren is struggling. The car keeps breaking down. James comes like, the car's shit. This is bullshit. Um, you, you know, and then we get sort of another confrontation scene where is like, oh, your car was illegal. It's like, oh, 0.8 of a millimeter doesn't make a difference, which, again, this is legitimately how Formula One works. Like, it is that pinpoint accurate that there was a very famous race, uh, a Michael Schumacher race, where he got disqualified in the late 90s uh, because Ferrari's is like a part of the car called the barge board, which was, like, again, like 0.1 millimeters out of whack. But then Ferrari basically appealed and were like, no, you measured it wrong. This is how you measure it. And they're like, oh, yeah, we were wrong. You can have your points back. Um, So it is done to the fine margins. Um, This is where we kind of get this breakup scene between James Hunt and Olivia Wilde where we see the headline of Richard Burton and they're having a scene at the table. And, yep, and then he – I love the the press conference he gives afterwards (laughs) – when he's just basically like, oh, we had a bit of a disagreement and Richard Burton has taken over and good luck to him. He's going yeah. to need it. <laughs> he's, Roger, <laughs> he's still got a bit of a Roger Moore voice about him, old James Hunt, doesn't he? Um, yeah. Joins a mile high club, has sex with a flight attendant, which again, it's portrayed in almost like, oh no, this is, he's fallen off the wagon again. He's going off the rails. Like he's having sex.
1: Yes. Like Really? This is—he's no different. This is what I was saying. Why you didn't need the mirror story? He's shown no differently here than he was in the opening scenes of the movie.
0: Yeah, I don't know why this is like a bad thing, but he comes back literally. Um, he's uh, he's been winning, which is good. He's catching up. We get uh, Nikki Lauda gets married, which is your scene when he's in the court. Like, I'm not going to be very good at this. If you want flowers, it's not this or not that, but it is. It's a sweet scene though. Like, it's yeah. And this is no disrespect to you, Colin, but like, it's like. <laughs> People who have no emotions and feelings and aren't romantic still can love, still can be happy in a marriage. I'm I'm sure you're happy with Jamie. You love her. You've had children with her. You've been married for 10, 11 happy years. Good for you. You lasted about, you know, a hundred thousand times more than my marriage lasted. So you're doing something right. I'm a little bit more romantic and I'd be a little bit more whatever, but where's that gotten me in life? Nowhere. Uh, I'm the single one. You're the married one. So clearly see, it works.
1: You set the bar low and then no matter what you do, it's always going to impress.
0: I need to find a woman who is into me, not into other men and therefore <laughs> not me into her. So therefore,
1: <laughs> yeah, Oh, therapy with Ben. You, you need more Alexandra Maria Lara Croft exactly. and less Olivia Wilde. <laughs> but
0: like, this is what I love about like her characters and how they do this. And I love this like honeymoon scene, not just because we see her boobs and Daniel Brawl's boobs, um, A yeah. lot, <laughs> lot of boobs in this movie, Colin. How did you feel about that? A bit uncomfortable? Or oh, you...
1: I was I was gonna tell you, you. You wait till you see Oppenheimer. That movie made Jamie uncomfortable. All oh, their boobs in it, are they? <laughs> oh, Florence Pugh. Uh, I'd say fifty percent of her screen time is what? showing her boobs. Why haven't I yeah. seen this movie? What? <laughs> Florence Pugh and Killian Murphy. I think all their scenes together are like nude. <laughs> uh, I'm wrapping this movie up. I'm going to see Oppenheimer right
0: now. <laughs> no one sold this to me as naked Florence Pugh. Pew, pew pew. Come on. Next, you'll be telling me you see uh, Celia Murphy's doodle, doodle, doodle.
1: Um, no, I see. I asked Jamie, would it make you less? Would it make you more comfortable if you saw his doodle? <laughs> but
0: she's got short hair now, Florence Pugh. Does she have short hair in the movie?
1: No, it's 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 dark hair, but it's probably shoulder length. It's in between. Are you talking about dark
0: hair on the head or like somewhere else? Or, <laughs> <laughs> or
1: the carpets match the drapes.
0: <laughs> but like she was, she was recently a couple of weeks ago. She was at the Grand Prix and she was like a celebrity on the grid, yeah. and no one recognized her because she's like got a bob cut now. She's like completely short hair. Seriously, she's
1: taking this free the nipple thing really far. <laughs> she, she's not. I'm
0: sorry, Florence, but yeah, grow your hair back, love. Seriously, you're not doing it for me. <laughs> I know it's all about me, and I'm being disparaging of your looks. But, uh, I mean, to you, it should be. Yeah, exactly. Chris Hemsworth, much better looking with short hair, not the long hair. See? <laughs> it's one thing for men, one thing for the women. Men, short hair, no long hair. Women, long hair, no short hair. I'm a traditional man, and I own that. If
1: you really want to hear the metrics of it, listen to 007. Exactly, I'll, I'll
0: explain this, all right? The ben, This is why I'm single. Again, caught like jamie's like she's had short hair before didn't she shave it up the side and like have a thing like oh yeah she's
1: had it she's had it quite short before
0: you you probably don't give a shit you didn't even notice she's probably probably shaves her head and then three weeks later like did you get a haircut (laughs) (laughs) i love that like men just don't know haircuts at work i got a haircut like about a month ago and about a week ago somebody my was oh ben did you get a haircut i'm like like three (laughs) weeks ago when i shaved my beard off recently about two days later man, did you shave your beard off? No. Something's
1: different about you.
0: Yeah, men are just dumb.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to mention, I, I swear, we should just do a count if we can mention a Simpsons quote on every single episode. You've already got one. I'm going to have mine. Maybe the hardest I laugh at anything in the Simpsons is uh, I don't even know what the episode is, but like Bart comes through the room and he obviously looks like really down and Marge is like, it's like something's wrong with Bart and something seems awful about him. And Homer goes, new glasses? And Marge's like, no, he seems upset about something. Probably misses his old glasses. Yeah.
0: I remember that. What's the one that always pops up when I'm watching Random Simpson clip? When like he's rushing home to listen to the um the voicemail and I can't remember what Barter Lisa's done or something. And oh yeah. Like, no camp Granada. I like, Marsh, we have something his Is camp...
1: Camp- <laughs> his Lisa <and> Camp Granada? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's the same one where we're just going off random school. Simpson Simpson, the same one where Bart's Caught Stealing, I think that's what it was. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, He's rushing home that to that beat is? the
0: phone message, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then uh, Homer's like, uh, uh, what do you think I took you all Police Academy movies for? For fun? <laughs> well, I didn't hear her laughing, at you? <laughs> we
0: was the one we were talking last night at work where we were talking about the Scorpio episode. And it's like, the Denver Broncos, Marge, <laughs> you just don't know football. <laughs> <laughs> oh god four finger discount shit show listen to the oz <laughs> network i say it's a good show four finger discount listen you
1: to can't it. get motivated by tom landry's hat i'm doing <laughs> something wrong
0: <laughs> i mean i really like this honeymoon scene though like when kind of dicky loud is like up and the and boobs the boobs um and also um the woman's boobs are nice too but uh I, I like it kind of when he's just sort of up staring out a window and he's just like honestly, I'm gonna say it right now, I'm on Team Nikki Loud here with his quote here when he just basically says like happiness, like it's it's crap that it makes you weak. That means you got something mm. to lose. I'm saying it right now, Nikki Loud, that's my new life motto. Um, <laughs> fuck <laughs> happiness. I want to be sad. Um, but then what is what does she say? Something along the lines of like, um, you know, if you're already thinking that, then it's already too late or something like that. It's just mm-hmm. like a, it's a nice little sweet scene. I really really like this scene between the two. of them. And Again, this is a Daniel Bruhl scene where. Okay, you got a Golden Globe nomination, but I mean, you know, come on. Like, Where's the Oscar? Really robbed. Um, we're at the German Grand Prix now. And uh, I mean, the inaccuracy really here is when they call it the graveyard. That was something they never called it. But the the Nürburgring, the Nordschleife version of it, this is an iconically dangerous circuit. They still, they haven't raced in Germany in a couple of years. They still do race at the Nürburgring, but it's a very shortened version. They don't race at this like 20 kilometer version, which every now and then they'll get a, Formula one car will drive around it to see like, Oh, what would it be like today? And every single formula One is like, yeah, there's no way in hell. How do people race at this circuit? This is a death trap. Um, so it's raining. And then Nicky Louder's is basically like, it's too dangerous. So we see a crash of a guy, like he's like legs, like bones sticking out and everything. So just mm. showing the danger of it. So Nicky Louder Nicky Lauder is basically just like, like, Hey guys, like this is too dangerous. We shouldn't race. James Hunt is all like, Oh, you suck. And he gets heavily outvoted. Now in real life, this wasn't a unanimous decision. Apparently he only lost his vote by one vote. Mm-hmm. So in real life, like this is portrayed very inaccurately. Um, but this is, yeah, very famous incident in real life Formula One where Nikki Lauda does crash out. And I will say the, the way they film this is done pretty amazingly because pretty much the, the CGI version of this crash is accurate. Because when you see James Hunt watching that on TV, that is the real footage of the crash. So that, mm-hmm. if you actually kind of compare it back and forth to it, uh, it is very, very close to being accurate. And this it
1: sounded like you slipped into your Austrian when you said that. Did I? Back well, and forth to it. Back and forth to it. <laughs> it's, just, it's very
0: Germanic. You've got to be like, you know, ordering. Back and forth. That's right. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, this is this whole sequence is horrific. Just seeing him burn. I mean, I don't want to say you were laughing at this scene, Colin, but. Uh, <laughs>
1: no. Good. There's, you know, I'm just. I've discovered there's, there's I'm trying to remember there's another movie I watched recently oh yeah it was Mission Impossible uh, Dead Reckoning there's a scene where a character in the movie catches on fire and I'm just like that's just not funny <laughs> <laughs> there's times where it's like oh no, no even I'm not that sick that's sick <laughs> that's disgusting Who would laugh at
0: that whereas if Nikki Loud is in this car going ah running around <laughs> be... oh if we saw him come out and his arms were flailing i would just be dying <laughs> well that's like nikki Louder was um ooh. <laughs> it's been nearly 50 years ben come on <laughs> um but i mean all of this is pretty horrific because you see him sort of in the hospital and kind of the burns on his face and then just everything from here is like the most graphic stuff in the movie i mean the peeling of the bandages off his face Ugh. the uh the tube going down his throat I mean, all of it, but like the thing that kind of like they do it. You see him constantly like staring at the screen, seeing James Hunt. I mean, it's very convenient. That these doctors are only doing this when a Grand Prix on. So uh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Nikki, we have come to remove your managers. No, Grand Prix starts in two hours. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's yeah, pretty fucking harrowing stuff. Seeing him put the helmet on his head and sort of when he turns to his wife, oh, that's a
1: great scene. Wow. When he
0: says to his wife, just like, like, just don't say anything. If you love me, you'll let me do this. Um, I like, well, that's kind of one thing I kind of like about this film is that you, you are saying things without saying it. So clearly, Mm -hmm. you know, his wife is scared, doesn't want him to race, doesn't want him to do this because she's scared of losing him. But you don't get a, like a dramatic scene of like, no, Nikki, why are you doing this? If you do this, I'm leaving you. It's too dangerous. You just, you just need a look. You just need kind of a facial expression. Like you just, you can say stuff sometimes without it being said. And, like, I think Ron Howard does a really good way of doing it in this movie. Like, we are smart enough, you probably more so than me, to get and interpret what's happening here. And I think that's just, it's done in such a way which makes it even better, more emotional in some way. Uh, so then we obviously see Nikki returning, and this is when we see his, like, scarred face and kind of, like, James Hunt basically has that real look at him and, and everything. And I like kind of this moment where, basically, James Hunt is like, yeah, like, you know, I kind of feel responsible, like, the race should have been caught off. And Nikki is like, yes, it should have. It's like, you know, yeah. I, I feel bad. And he Nicky Latter's basically like, Yeah, you kind of should. Um, you know, because like Jane is like, you're, you know, I'm kind of the reason why you you're look that way. But then just the way Nikki Ladder kind of was like, Yeah, you were. But also, uh, you know, you're also the reason why I'm back. Because, you know, while the pain was terrible of me in hospital, me seeing you win every single time was even more painful and gave me the motivation to come back, which is fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. and even though again it's kind of inaccurate that these two are at each other's throats. They were really good friends. It's kind of like, this is almost like the bonding moment between these two, where all of a sudden you realize like they're actually kind of good friends. So I kind of like that. I love this press conference. So when it's kind of just oh. like, you know, like, Oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Like, and you just got a back and forth thing and answering all the questions and just the way he delivers it. And then you've got that one journalist who's fucking journalists. they? are scum. Aren't they can't wait for the positive journalist movie to come out one day. Um, even in like what, like, um, what's the, the, the one that won best picture a few years ago. Um, spotlight, spotlight, like even Spotlight. I'm sure it's got dick journalists in. It. I've not seen it, but like even the movies that portray journalists as good. the The fucking Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks one we did. Um, oh, the Post. Like even that had like dicks in it. Like, come on, mm-hmm. where's the positive journalist story? The Ben Waterworth story coming soon. The positive journalists.
1: Um, <laughs> That's gonna be the title of Positive Journalism: The Ben Waterworth Story.
0: <laughs> it's me writing about old women growing flowers. Um <laughs> I guess, um oh, the fucking, what do you call it? The Ricky Gervais show. He's a journalist in that, and I guess they kind of satire like local news in that, and he's kind of slightly. Which one's here? Which show is, is it that Afterlife or it was called? Is it Afterlife? Oh,
1: it's the one I haven't seen, yeah.
0: Oh, bring your tissues. I'm t- like, that
1: oh, was with Derek? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: no, like, the one thing I'll say about the show, like he does so many accurate things in that movie, and one of the most accurate things in that film is his portrayal of a local newspaper reporting on small town news I have been doing that beat in my past history, and I agree heavily that that is how it is. Um, But anyway, so this journalist is like, doesn't your wife think you're ugly? And he's like, you know what? Fuck you. And then you see James Hunt bashing a journalist, which is completely false. Never happened in real life. Yeah. And, like, I'm sorry. Like, if a journalist is getting bashed up, what's on the news? The front page the next day. Oh, yeah. Like... (laughs) James Hunt bashes reporter. Like, I mean, even I'm a shit journalist and even I'm reporting that the next day. <laughs> so um, he's come back. Uh, Nicky Lauda finishes a strong fourth. James Hunt has crashed out uh, of the race. or Blown up, I should say. So this is going to set up a big championship decider in Japan. So I might cap it there. Sort of everything from um, what, basically, Nicky Lauda's marriage or a bit before that. Um, no, James Hunt's marriage, essentially, yeah, you know what I... I talked about the movie. You I know what you
1: mean. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, right before the uh, the wedding scene here, this is where we get, like, I guess their second argument or whatever, Hunt and Loud, a second argument. Uh, this is the whole rat thing where it says, you know, I don't mind that you call me rat. <laughs> <laughs> R- rats are very fast and they're intelligent. <laughs> and... and, and, and he, he says something. i don't remember what it was but it was like something else like they have a keen sense of smell like, he's <laughs> just very very detailed about what all the good comparisons you can have to being a rat that's like that sense of humor that's like so great with his character um uh, yeah this whole I, I i won't be i'm not going to be very good at bringing flowers or holding hands but but again like you mentioned it's very sweet because he ends it by basically saying but if i have to do this I'm glad you're the one I'm doing it with. Like, he's like, I'm certainly not the type of guy who should be doing this, nor do I even want to. That's but how you propose. Glad it's you. That was exactly my proposal right there at Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. <laughs> well, since I have to, I'm glad it's you. <laughs> Somebody's going to put up with me. Um, but yeah, the Hunt stuff, like I even noted at, at this point in the movie, this is before even seeing that Olivia Wilde came back. Uh, I'm like, just cut this, condense it, or fictionalize something, you know? Uh, like, I know you want to have a, a true and accurate story, but it just it doesn't belong in this movie., uh, The best part about it is, like you said, the media conference afterwards. But then let's have more on that. Let's have more than just a couple of flashes of newspapers showing that, like because I, I think one of the things they were trying to get across here was that the newspaper articles were, Almost like looking down on him, like, uh, you know, oh, Formula One driver hunt, you know, abandoned for Richard Burton, you know, the the big man with a big dong or something like that. Whereas I guess he was kind of expecting it to be a little bit more swayed in his favor. Make that a bigger part of the movie. Like, there's just so much more you could have done with this. I will say I appreciate Olivia Wilde with her Carmen Sandiego hat in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) She's auditioning for something else. I don't know whether this is... You know, changed or anything, but has Olivia Wilde been the first woman to be canceled in Hollywood? <laughs> Why did she get canceled? What happened with her? That whole feud with Florence Pugh and her and Harry Styles and yeah. everything around that "Don't Worry, Darling" movie, where she was basically trashing Florence Pugh and and there's all these text messages and emails where she was, you know, I think
0: Roseanne Barr got canceled, buying about so stuff. Does, does,
1: oh, I guess Roseanne. Yeah, but it's just, she was canceled. A woman, oh, wow. <laughs> I, that's nothing, I'm not talking physical, but I mean, is that a lady? I don't think so. I don't know, there's not many people who are going to be defending Roseanne Barr right now who are gonna jump to her defense, but I don't know. I was just thinking because watching Florence Pugh in that movie, like, boy, I bet you Olivia Wilde had some thoughts on this. Who would you rather, who's, who's,
0: Olivia Wilde or Florence Pugh? That's oh, a Florence tough choice. Pugh in a
1: second. I like Olivia nah, Wilde, not
0: tough but me. I mean, she made out with names I mean, Michelle Barton. Them.
1: I mean, her boyfriend spits on people. <laughs> she, her boyfriend spits on Chris's. You don't spit on a Chris, okay? <laughs> and if you are gonna spit on a Chris, spit on Hemsworth or Evans, not Pratt. <laughs> Pratt's our Chris. Yeah, they Pratt. We're not yeah. Pratt. And I'm, I'm, I'm No, we've offended the Chris's. I didn't even mean Pratt. Who's the, the, the guy? Um, Pine. Uh, Pine, Pine, the other P. Yeah. Yeah. Not Pine. Spit on Pratt. Don't spit on Pine. Oh, Chris O'Donnell. Chris, Chris O'Donnell deserves it. Come on. Spit <laughs> on Harry Styles. Like,
0: come on. What's the big deal with Harry him? Styles? Should just
1: spit on himself.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was Harry Styles on Mike. I'm like,
1: ugh, Harry <laughs> Styles. <laughs> <laughs> I did see that. Don't worry, darling. Movie, and it's like it's okay. It's, it's unusual. But i wonder okay. when that
0: came out, and they were like, oh, it's so controversial because in the trailer, like yeah. he goes
1: down on her, and I'm like, yep. So there's there's nothing in the movie. Like that movie could have almost been PG-13. Uh, Ten seconds of Oppenheimer is a lot more graphic, and Oppenheimer is not a graphic movie. It's just all the they made sure if we got Florence Pugh and Killian Murphy in a scene together, we're gonna make sure those are our only graphic scenes but in the did, movie. Did
0: Christopher Nolan ever do nudity before this movie?
1: Oh, I'm trying to think. Um, uh, there might have been something in Memento. Guy Pierce, they like, they kind of have to show the tattoos all over his body, but that's not the same, is it? you are not like,
0: you know, the good bit. Uh-
1: <laughs> oh no, there's there's some in, in the Prestige. There's a topless scene. Piper oh, Perabo is topless in that Jackman? movie. Yeah, <laughs> Hugh Jackman's topless in all those movies. Um, yeah, anyways, yeah, I'm just it's, it's it's the worst part about the movie. And again, it's not that it's it's just bad because they don't do more with it. What you have there is okay. It's just it doesn't need to be in this movie. This is where a longer cut this movie would be better. And the second thought I had during this section is um the way they kind of do the disqualification thing. Cause for me, the, the thing about him being disqualified and losing points, I'm like, that's weak. Like, oh, it was an inch and a half too big or a centimeter and a half too big. I think it was something like that. I'm like, is that the most dramatic thing you could do? And then you read up and you're like, well, that was the true story. So glad they stuck to truth. But the thing that frustrated me more is that there were two instances of this throughout the season. Mm. The second instance was way more dramatic because it was like during, I don't know, is it called the London Grand Prix or just British Grand British Prix? British
0: Grand Prix.
1: So during the British Grand Prix, you basically have Hunt. This is his hometown crowd. And I don't know whether it was a false start to the race or there was a crash right away. Basically, Hunt wipes out within the first lap, lap and a half or something like that. And they stop the race and Hunt basically has to wheel his car back. And he's saying, it's done. The car's a write off. And they're like, as, as he's basically saying, it's over. This is my hometown crowd. And they they're, the, the race has been halted. They're getting ready to start again. And the crowd literally starts rioting. They're throwing garbage and stuff. the people are like dodging garbage and bottles on the track. And all of a sudden, like his, his crew is like, we can fix this if we have enough time. And this almost riot prolongs it long enough that they fix Hunt's car and they can restart it. He wins the race, but then in the end, it was some type of weird technicality where when he went off course, he didn't go back the right way. It's like, oh, he he took a shortcut, and like if you, even if you're out of the race, you have to take a certain yeah. route. So he yeah. got disqualified for that. And I think that was the one where it's like it, it. I think that one wasn't overturned. But there's two ways where I think this works better. One, that's way more dramatic T- to show this rivalry even more. You get to show his hometown crowd getting behind him like that. Uh, and then you see the the drama of something a lot more dramatic about the disqualification because he goes on to win the race more than just, Oh, it was an inch and a half too big. Like an audience isn't going to see that as a big deal. But if you put both of these in there, it's even better because then when you get to the end of the movie, it doesn't feel like the, the way they actually even have Nicky Lauda saying it. It's like, Oh, you don't feel like, you know, this is tarnished because, you know, I wasn't there racing against you. Well, this kind of makes it a lot closer. The, the real story with him having two disqualifications made this a lot closer because then it's like, yes, Lauda lost a lot of steam because he was out of it for a couple races with his injury, but Hunt had the same thing. He lost two victories where his points weren't you know, uh, given back because of the disqualifications. Like I, this movie being 10 minutes longer, you put that sequence in there, I think it's a better movie because mm. that was like the, the craziest story I saw in there. Um, but still, I mean, th- this whole thing about an, an inch and a half or a centimeter and a half, the way they kind of pin it on this movie was like, I, I think they even have, it's that scene where he says he's not, uh, he looks like a rat or whatever. Uh, I think it's even that scene where where it's almost like Lauda saying, yeah, I turned you in for this because it was illegal. Why not? But they're trying to make it like he's taking shortcuts. When in the documentary, nobody actually says is what happened, but they basically say the Ferrari team was known for, we're going to do whatever we can to make sure we're winning. If somebody else yeah. is cheating, we're going to point that out. Yeah, but, but like the funny thing is, is that, one of the guys on on um, Hunt's side spends essentially the entire documentary running through conspiracy theories. Like, no, and I think they were behind this too. It's... Yeah, and I think that they may have killed Hunt. Like, it's basically like he's really bitter about the if Ferrari's involvement. So this was not necessarily a a thing. This was like the team behind it. This was the Ferrari to, thing. To, the, to
0: this to... day, I mean, as a Ferrari fan, I've copped it my entire life. But, I mean, not so much anymore now. It's, it's calmed down. But... For a long period of time, so the, the governing body of the sport is the FIA. So everybody used to joke that that was called the Ferrari International Assistance because there was a lot of times like that. that in, the incident I mentioned before when like they got their bargeboard overturned, everyone's like, oh, well, how convenient that that means they're still in the world championship in a week or so. And then there were so many other incidences where like maybe Ferrari seemingly got a bit of I mean, Ferrari are so big to Formula One that they are literally the only team that gets a special fee paid to them every year by Formula One. There's a Ferrari <laughs> fee paid to them. They're the only team that has been in it since the very beginning in 1950. And often, as he said, with no Ferrari, there is Formula 1, which I firmly agree with, but I'm biased. But, um, yeah, they literally get a special fee given to them in the contracts of the sport. No other team gets a fee that Ferrari get. They get paid money because they're Ferrari. So, yeah.
1: yeah. I think that this also came down to, you know, yes, it was technically illegal or whatever against the rules, but I think that the actual technicality they try to get overturned on is they said, you guys measured it beforehand and said, yes, you're cleared to race. And now you're coming back afterwards and saying we made a mistake. Like, I don't know how, how much of that was the real story or, or but it, it, to me, this just between those two disqualifications, they picked the wrong one to show in this movie. And I personally say, show them both. Like I'd be all for show them both. Um, it makes the rivalry so much bigger. Um, I mean, the big thing here being like the, uh, the, the German, was what, what it called? Um, uh, the, the the actual race. that The you German it, Grand Prix, uh, Nuremberg Ring, Nordschleife. Nuremberg. Nür, Nuremberg Nürb- Ring. <laughs> Nuremberg Ring. Um, yeah, like, again, if it's dramatized or not, this is where the movie really picks up. I mean, this is where the real story picked up too, but you want to sell how dangerous this is, and you also have to make sure that you're, you're making Nicky Lauda's character arc, because his character arc goes nowhere if you don't have him... In this scene really having a solid point because the funny thing is is that he petitions everybody for the vote like you said it was actually only one vote he lost by it was very split um and then you have hunt basically almost rubbing it in his face by saying every once in a while it pays to have somebody like you but that's important scene because he's not wrong he's like listen there's a reason why i want to be mr popular because every once in a while when you do have something to say and it's important somebody's going to listen to you. Yeah. Uh now Hunt is simply the guy that like as we see at the end of the movie he didn't care, he wasn't going to care one way or the other, you know? He just was smart enough to sway everybody else for his opinion. Uh but later on after the accident like you mentioned where he, where he uh meets him again and he says uh oh yeah, you know, I feel like it was my fault that this happened. He goes, "Yeah, it was." Uh, the only thing they don't say in that is that Lauda could have pulled out, and what actually caused it was him being like, "Oh, I'm down now. I gotta catch Hunt." Like he still bears some of the blame himself. But I feel like Lauda wouldn't admit that, so they don't admit it in the movie. <laughs> so you kind like
0: of see it in a way, like when um they're on the start of the grid, and he's like, "Oh, what tires is he on? Well, we'll do the same, and we'll do this. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, and they're kind of in the pits. So I was like, "I told you, you should have gone in the dry tires." Like you kind of see a little bit of it
1: there, I guess. And and they they have that uh, that great line where uh, I think it's in this scene, like the big meeting, which is maybe the best scene. I mean, obviously there are more dramatic moments like the crash, but just for a straight dialogue scene, that scene where they hold the meeting and they're trying to take the vote, that's probably my favorite scene in the movie uh, where he's saying like, oh, you know, every time you get in this car, you you uh, run the risk of dying. He goes, right, but it's a 20% risk. And he brings that up multiple times in the movie. I love that. Like this guy is so analytical. He's like, 20%, not 1% more, not 0.1% more, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, 20% is me getting in the car today. It's a 21. I say, no, um, uh, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous, but it's brilliant. Uh, but, uh, but that's the thing is that he knows this is a risk and he could have said, fine, I'm going to be the only guy to sit out this race, which again is his character arc at the end of the movie, which is why he has to learn from, you know, I can't just be doing this to be competitive. Uh, And these are two separate guys. One guy can be competitive and it pays off. And one guy, when he gets too competitive, that takes his focus off. I think that's kind of the the big difference between these two guys. Uh, But like you said too, like these guys were apparently as close as you could get to being friends if one of them is Nicky Lauda. I mean, it doesn't seem like he's a very friendly type guy. But uh, one of the things that they don't show in this movie, and this is when I found out the real story, I'm like, I'm kind of on the fence because I made a note about after the crash scene, which is horrific to watch, Uh, You have it intercutting with uh, Hemsworth winning the race with him at the hospital. So you're like, he's at the hospital, but Hunt's still driving. Does he even know about this? But in reality, they stopped the race at that point. And there's footage of Hunt being one of the guys at that crash site, trying to help him onto a gurney. And apparently he was talking completely coherently afterwards and people assumed he's going to be fine, which is why they go on with the race. So I like, i'm torn because i i actually at the time i was watching it i really liked the idea that this race just continued and nobody would care and it's only afterwards where he felt bad but then i'm like it would have made a really great moment where you see hunt who's just hated this guy 'Cause we never get that big moment where he's like, Oh, what have I done? You know, the Anakin, what have I done? Yeah. yeah. Where he gets out of the car and he helps him. Like you could have dramatized that and made it even
0: bigger. There's, and there's very famous incidences in the sport of things like happening, I, mean, I know Driven has like this dramatic scene of the drivers get out of their cars and flip him out of the water and everything. But like that's what they do. And even in modern you don't really have the big crashes in Formula One that are more life threatening like they used to be, but there are still a few occasions. There was a very big crash last year at the British Grand Prix and a driver got out of his car to try and help, like it was all on TV mm. and everything. But, um, yeah, like it, it was a thing like going back to like this whole danger of the sport that even if somebody was killed in a race, they often wouldn't stop it. I mean, mm-hmm. 94 when Etton Centre was killed in the race, I mean, no one knew he was dead at the time, but they kept going. And the last driver to have died in a race sort of happened at the end. And in all fairness, that guy didn't really die until like eight months later in hospital. But, um, I mean, if it happened now i can't imagine they wouldn't stop it um but yeah
1: i i uh i i know i mentioned this when we did top gun but i feel like top gun was a sports film and that that it's kind of like the same formula like we we talked a lot about where you're like there's not really a story in top gun I'm like well because it's not supposed to be it's a sports story but i actually you just sort of reminded me when you're talking about driven i was remember the exact same movie as rush that was made in 1990 called days of thunder with tom cruise Never seen same director thought. as top gun I need to see it it, it you when you watch that movie you're probably going to watch it being like i bet you tom cruise and tony scott were thinking about the real hunt louder rivalry when they made that because it's very similar you have this rivalry between two guys and then there's an accident and they end up becoming super close and you know one of them basically is almost dedicating i'm going to finish this for the other guy very similar which is actually at the same time even similar to top gun you have this intense rivalry one guy very serious one guy a bit of a maverick there's an accident. There's a death. It throws one guy off, and then in the end, they have to kind of learn to work together. It, this this movie is almost a prototype because I've always watched the rock. Like I'm I'm a bigger not so much now, but like the history, the way you are with history of Formula One. Like I would love to read and even go back and watch the history of like professional boxing. Um, mm. This movie is very similar in ways to uh, Ali, the the Muhammad Ali movie. Uh, the way that they had the rivalry in that between Joe Frazier and uh, Muhammad Ali. It's similar to this it's like you start the movie and these guys are rivals but by the end you're like they just enjoy being rivals that's kind of the thing that goes on with them uh but uh um the rocky movies are all fictional but i every time i watch a rocky movie i'm like i bet you stallone got the idea for rocky 2 from jim Braddock's story you know i bet you got the idea of uh rocky balboa from george foreman and i'm honestly thinking now days of thunder driven all these other movies are probably all looking back at the real Hunt Lauda and the, the, this whole season and building a, fictional movies around that. Well, if
0: we ever do Driven, and maybe in the lead up to the Brad Pitt Formula 1 movie in a couple of years, we should do it because, yeah, there are several drivers in that who are very much based on real, like Till Schweiger, the arrogant mm. German, is clearly meant to be Michael yeah. Schumacher. <laughs> like, it's no, not even hiding the fact that it's meant to be him. And the Burt Reynolds character, he's like in a wheelchair and a mm-hmm. very famous Formula 1 team engineer, uh, Frank Williams, who started the Williams Formula 1 team, uh, he famously was in a motor car accident in the 80s and was in a wheelchair. So you would always see him in the paddock as one of the bosses of the Formula One team in a wheelchair. So there are lots of people in Driven who are clearly based on real-life Formula One figures at the time. Uh, Stella Warren. And Estella
1: Warren. Uh,
0: <laughs> I think she was Mika Famously Hackinen. based
1: on Mar- Mario Andretti. Yeah, ex- ex- exactly. <laughs> Um, is actually, he was sleeping around with all the drivers too. <laughs> there
0: is actually, we mentioned it in Senna a few times, um, you know, because again, he's he's probably, most people say the greatest driver of all time, probably the biggest personality the sport's ever seen and taken way too young. But they're actually filming a Netflix uh, miniseries, like a fictionalised, like a you know, acted, dramatic version. Whereas uh, there is a very good documentary movie called Senna, which is maybe probably about 10 years old. Oh, or, yeah. Which, I mean, seriously, like that, that sells who you want to know about Senna as well. I mean, I prefer Schumacher cause I'm much more into Schumacher, but um, they're different films. And I think that, uh, you know, Senna's more of a, almost a movie, like the way they kind of do it. There's no narration. There's no like intersected interviews, explaining anything. It's just kind of all done through footage and just told in its own way. Whereas Schumacher is sort of more done in the style of he's an interview with someone talking about him and this is what he did. And this is what happened. Um, can I say, just quickly mention the score for this film by Hans Zimmer? Oh yeah. Amazing. Ooh. Uh just uh, an incredible score. It's, and one, like one I don't have. I need to download it.
1: Hans Zimmer's usually pretty predictable with his scores. So I like when he has a movie like this where it doesn't necessarily even sound like Hans Zimmer. That was one of the things I loved about No Time to Die. Mm. We kind of all thought, oh, Han Zimmer's doing a James Bond movie, and then it doesn't sound like Hans Zimmer at all.
0: Yeah. Who, um, does, who does Oppenheimer? I, I, I d-
1: uh Oppenheimer, Ludwig Gorenson, the guy who did like Black Panther. He's the guy who does all the Star Wars shows, like he the you know, the um the Mandalorian da, 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 da. Same guy does that. Is that when the bomb goes? up? Florence boobs.
0: Murphy's dong. Baby Yoda looks. Ooh, Florence Peep's boobs.
1: Da Just, I actually forgot that you actually covered the the whole press conference afterwards. He comes back. I love again just the sense of humor of this guy who. I don't, you never know whether Daniel Brule or Lauda is trying to be funny, or if he just doesn't realize what he's saying will kind of make people laugh just because how serious he is when they're talking about like, how are you feeling? He's like, I'm feeling very good. you're looking at this guy. You're like, I'm feeling very good. And then he's like, they take a skin graft of my thigh and put it on my face. And one of the things is once your skin's grafted, you never perspire again. So (laughs) it'll keep the sweat out of my eyes. (laughs) And just see all these people laughing. Like, I don't know whether this guy knew he was being funny or not. But then that, that fight scene, like, I think that's the moment that, um, Again, I'm I'm not saying that I think that there's a better version of this movie doing things differently. I'm just saying, like, ah, I'm kind of on the fence. I'm because I'm still on the fence, because as much as I would have loved to have seen that crash where they stopped the race and Chris Hemsworth comes out. And for the first time, he's trying to you know get to the body and it's I'm sorry, I'm sorry or whatever. Uh, it's still just as effective, just in a completely different way to have this press conference, him looking kind of sad in the background. And then he goes and attacks the reporter like. That's the one where you knew watching that scene, you're like, there's no way this happened. But yet oh, you're just like, oh, give it to him. Because he even says something like, that. let's see how the way, what your wife thinks of you when you get home. <laughs> I,
0: yeah, I, I kind of probably more prefer the way they show up it because it's sort of, again, it's sort of what I was saying before about you don't have to have that obvious scene of, oh, honey, don't raise, I'm scared. Like mm. you can just, I like the portrayal of this friendship about them kind of respecting each other and becoming friends by the end of the movie without ever directly having that. I'm so sorry, scene. I love you. So I'm kind of I'm kind of on board with it. I like it. Um, so yeah, we've got the ending here. So the Japanese Grand Prix, absolutely pissing down with rain. Now, Formula 1 in modern times has basically turned into cricket. If there's like three spots of rain, they basically call it off and put the covers out. Um, so the fact that I watched this movie like back when they were men and they raced. Um, so, and like, it's, it's a thing. If you ever watch Formula 1, it's always more exciting when it's raining. So, um, I'm only happy when it rains. Garbage reference. Good song. Uh, great song. Uh, so we've got like press conferences here talking about the racing and uh, there's only a couple of points in it for the championship. And uh, they're all sort of talking about like, oh, this race should be canceled. It's raining too much. And they're like, no, we're live on TV. You're on television. Say something. Yeah. <laughs> so Nikolata gets out of his car. In case I don't see you. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but I love this like scene when they're, like drilling holes into his helmet for the condensation everything along those lines. And again, just the racing section of this movie. I love the little moment where kind of they give each other a bit of a nod on the line. And it's, this does remind me of cool runnings with the, uh what's his says, Josef Gruhl, Hey Jamaica. I'll see you in four years. Yeah. Now he was German. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> East German. He
1: was, he was Canadian <laughs> playing German. So some of us can do the accent. <laughs> you know
0: what they say about East Germans? They can't get over a wall. Um, too, too soon for Berlin Wall joke <laughs> uh, It's been 33 years David Hasselhoff would yeah. let me do it uh, Can we just say the biggest One of the biggest moments in history Had David Hasselhoff singing Like <laughs> I I wouldn't Imagine in He was like A famous actor In 1945 Like Cary Grant Or someone like that Bing Um, Crosby And we're talking About no Nazis Yeah (laughs) There are no Fucking Nazis I want the day When like Freaking Putin Is like Oh sorry Ukraine Peace War You know We surrender We we, we surrender Harry Styles I'm gonna spit On (laughs) Russia (laughs) You get fucked Russia (laughs) More, more historical moments. 2001. Where was Mandy Moore at Ground Zero? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to rebuild the towers. <laughs> Come on. Titanic 1912. I don't know. Was Mozart around back then? Like Titanic sinking. Uh, <laughs> Mozart? Was he the deaf one? <laughs> that was Beethoven. What was Mozart? Beethoven is the deaf one. What was his one. issue?
1: uh he wasn't he the crazy one i don't know I mean, well i think again we're talking about fictional movies that mozart the uh, oh, amadeus. amadeus movie amadeus, yeah, amadeus. That, was
0: appar- Rock. Amadeus.
1: <laughs> that that was apparently like the cool runnings of biopics what was, <laughs> I was like um, oh it's 80 percent fiction what was the troy mcclure
0: play when he did it on amadeus
1: <laughs> oh the P- planet of the apes uh, of the A- yeah, yeah. <laughs> dr zeus dr zeus dr zeus so
0: dr, dr. zeus <laughs>
1: Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. I was wrong. It was Earth all along. <laughs> By the way, thank you, Simpsons, for spoiling Planet of the Apes for me before I ever saw that movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to me, it's always like um, the New York episode. And when I was living there, I'd go to Broadway. It just reminded me of, he's checking in, he's checking in. I'm checking in. Did you know, was it... um. Hawkeye, how they had the Broadway performance of... Um,
1: the Captain America musical. You know, that's a
0: real musical now. Did you know they've actually yeah, turned into that. a real musical at like one of the Disney World resorts? Like, it's literally a real musical. <laughs> They'll be on Broadway literally in a couple of years. Come on. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, the racing has started and Nicky Lauder pulls into the pits because it's too dangerous for him. A real life thing, this really happened. He pulled into mm-hmm. the pits and didn't want to race because it was too dangerous. And I mean, that's like unheard of. Like, it's just... it's They're that competitive and, you know, they've... Un- just the the balls that it takes to not race versus racing. Like, it's just this is an incredible thing that he actually did. And, you know, to this day, he, he went on to win two more world championships after this Nikki Lauder. So, you know, you see him win one. He won another... It's for the next
1: year too, right? Yeah,
0: for Ferrari. He retired and he came back and won one for McLaren in the 80s. So he ended up racing for James Hunt's team in the 1980s. Right. So this guy could have had four world championships realistically had he maybe gone on in this race. Um, but then James Hunt, of course, at this point has to finish third or higher. He has a tire problem, comes in and pits. And again, this is all pretty accurate to pretty much what happened. Except as I said, he overtook Alan Jones. Uh, so he overtook an Australian to win it. And then there were, even was this confusion after the race of did he really finish third? Like this was an yeah. actual accurate, like kind of they didn't know that he had won the, the race in the championship. But then wins the championship, I uh, believe by a point at the end of the day, um, which it's very rare in Formula 1 that a driver will win a championship by a point particularly in modern days when Max Verstappen just wins everything. So, um, you know, modern Formula One fans who watch it now, this is a true thing. It can happen. You can win a race, a championship by this close. Um, so I kind of like sort of this sequence where you see um, James Hunt celebrating. you got Nikki Lauder in the helicopter and sort of looks at his wife and he's just like, I've got no regrets. None, not even one. It's a nice little scene. you got a fame montage with... Yeah. Uh, Chris Hensworth getting interviewed on Parkinson, and he's got a book. Uh, yeah, Parkinsons. Uh, you know the famous interviewer Parkinson, the oh. British guy. Ah, oh, he was big, big into big interviewer from like the seventies through to like the two thousands. Um, and I'm
1: thinking David Frost.
0: <laughs> absolutely, David Frost. Um, and all sort of the the fame things he's doing, and then he's off flying somewhere. Uh, Where where are you going to the airport? Flying somewhere? (laughs) How'd you guess? Oh, I saw the luggage. Then when I saw the ticket, I put two and two together. (laughs) That's another line I always say when I'm going to the airport. Why are you going to the airport for? Flying somewhere?
1: Oh, God. It? Samsonite. I was way off. There's, oh there was a t-shirt I saw like
0: you know, like randomly on Instagram when you get like ads and it's got like you know random clothing. There's actually a t-shirt which I really want to buy it says like Slimmy, Swappy, Slappy, Samsonite, yeah. Swanson. <laughs> I was way off. <laughs> I just want to get that t-shirt so when we record about it next year.
1: Oh, uh, the other day. I just want what this says, what if he shot me in the face?
0: <laughs> the one I always think about when he's in the bathroom. It's like Harry, what are you doing in there? Uh, Shaving. Uh, Just shaving. Oh, uh, Lord,
1: Holly. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Just cleaning my teeth. <laughs> I, my favorite exchange of dialogue in the movie is, oh, I wouldn't want to bore you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> what are you the most now annoying, that's me. What
0: is the most annoying sound in the world? Our,
1: our pants' heads
0: <laughs> are falling off. <laughs> it's like, my pet parakeet, Petey. He's dead! Oh my god! What happened? His head fell off.
1: <laughs> he
0: was Yeah, he was old. pretty
1: old. <laughs> we're still getting—we're gonna get a series of shirts made that are just quotes from that movie. And that, I guarantee it'll sell. That
0: movie next year is gonna go for like eight hours. Uh,
1: yeah, <laughs> it's a foot
0: long. Who wants a foot long?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm a limo driver. <laughs> Oh. I just love, with a hard copy story on the bird i just thought that he was really quiet it wasn't Hall, was a Holiday. who are these me? sick people <laughs> tonight on a card affair <laughs> no way we landed on the moon
0: <laughs> oh my god it's such a good movie fredafilcher Filcher. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I've heard of her. Uh, I did. I think I told you the time I interviewed the um, the the Loveheart tub that's in that movie. Yeah, you told me about yeah, that. Somebody bought it and owned it in Victoria, so I interviewed the owner of the Loveheart tub from Dumb and Dumber. Uh, that's amazing. Oh, I'd, I'd buy that if I had the money back then. I would have bought that. Um, so yeah, Dan's on at the airport, flying somewhere, um, and he has this great sort of scene with him and. Nicky Lauda just, you know, Nicky Louder's like, I'm back off to testing. I'm testing tomorrow. James like, "Wait, you mad? I'm going off parting. I'm James Hunt. And it's like, oh, we will see you next year. And then kind of we get this sort of, I guess, closing narration, um, which, yeah, it's all pretty accurate. And you see real footage of James Hunt here. You get that photo of him and Murray Walker. Uh, yeah, he only was in Formula One for a couple of these. I think he won a couple of races the next year, but he kind of just faded off into obscurity. Although a bit of a falsity when he says like, oh, I didn't see him for like another seven years when he fell off a bike. Basically, that was because he had a bike accident because he was a raging alcoholic, James Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> um, and basically, Nikki Lauder helped him like get off the alcohol and drugs and got him into rehab and gave him money and basically ended up helping him get a broadcast career to which, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people knew him sort of of a certain age as Murray Walker's co-commentator. Which if people watch Formula One today, Martin Brundle is still involved. So once James Hunt sadly died, Martin Brundle took over James Hunt, and James Martin Brundle's still very much a big voice of Formula One today. But it's it's a nice little montage closing out. You see, you know, real footage of like Hunt and Louder, and then you see kind of this one shot of Nicky Louder, which that was like filmed, I think, just for this movie of him back in twenty thirteen, and uh sort of closes out. Um it's yeah, like I I because often with these sports pics or just biopics and you'll get the text at the end, like, you mm-hmm. know, Freddie Mercury didn't really do this, and, like, you know, all your <laughs> bits and that. But I just kind of almost like the way they do this with a bit of narration. It's just kind mm-hmm. of like, oh, and Nicky Lauda. And then you get kind of the closing and the great score at the end. Because I don't, outside of David Bowie fame, I don't think there's any actual songs in this movie. So
1: There's one, uh, I, it sounded like CCR, but it wasn't CCR. It's, uh, I think, during the first race where Hunt's first introduced... Right. I heard that. I'm like, I've, I've heard this in like something i remember the Titans, you know, some other sports film from like the 70s.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I love the way it ends. Great movie. And I'm a fan of the font in the credits. Can I just say it's got like that <laughs> speed type font of it? So, yeah.
1: You know, we, we rank our films of Anniversary Month. We got to rank the fonts of Anniversary Month credits. Font um, Month
0: coming to the. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> font Oz. <laughs> this than a week on Font
0: Oz Aerial. <laughs> Is it too used often? <laughs> Is it overrated? Next week, Vedana, and the controversial Patreon episode, Wingdings, coming soon.
1: We we can do a month on Times New Roman. <laughs> oh
0: god, that's that's a freaking you know true crime series.
1: <laughs> I love that there are two fonts. There's Arial and Arial Black, where it's like, Racist. but they're both black. Like, what? Call it Arial Bold if you want, but Arial Black, well, it's there, like it's no different but than Arial. There's also
0: Arial Bold, so there's like three different. I think Arial Black's just in the middle of Arial, which is thin. Ariel Black has <laughs> just had a couple of donuts and then just, Ariel Bold's fat.
1: Yeah, just call it like Ariel Fat, Ariel Medium and Ariel, or like Casper, that story I told you. It's like Ariel, small, medium and large.
0: <laughs> I'd love to be a font designer.
1: <laughs> that. What's your profession? I'd love,
0: love to be a font. <laughs> font designer. <Like. laughs>
1: I always, I always love whenever we do any time, well, like when I would do the the T-shirts that we actually have up on Teepublic, uh finding the real Mission Impossible font, finding mm. the real Star Wars font. But I love the... Somehow, our Star Wars one, our sand is coarse and rough and irritating. Got pulled for copyright infringement. It's like, is it because the dialogue is copyrighted? Can I change a, a word on that? Because the font is free. I, I know because I downloaded it for free.
0: I also love how some of these fonts, like obviously, can't use the name. So like, I can remember, like the Survivor font back in the day. Survivor was it wasn't oh, yeah. called like Survivor. It was called something else. Um, mm-hmm. But I was that was that was always a fun um, Survivor wiki fact. The font used on the One World logo is. <laughs> Webding seventeen twelve or something. <laughs> oh, there's my trivia stat for the day.
1: I, I, outside of the fonts, yeah, I think the end of the movie is great. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the final race is this is the longest sequence we have, a very longest action sequence in the movie. Uh, it's very extended. This is uh, um, it's still nothing compared to like Mission Impossible's twelve minute long car chases, but uh, still, it, you get all the danger from it. Everything I said earlier, like it's fast cutting, especially with the rain the rain in these scenes, like um, I've mentioned it, comparisons a lot throughout this, the movie, Ali, uh, Ali famously ends like the final fight, the rumble in the jungle. And then after the bell rings, it starts pouring rain, which in reality never happened. But it was such a dramatic thing. Like rain in sports movies, like every sports movie should have like rain at the end. You know, I just want to see the the athletes wet and cheering and yeah. And slow motion. The one time you can do slow motion here. It's just, it's very effective. Uh, let's write the rains in sports films, maybe going forward. chubby rain. Chubby rain. You know, if, if we do bowfinger finger and we can't find another chubby rain plot keyword, I'll be so disappointed because if, if there's any month we need, we need a, ch- a chubby rain month. We, uh, when Jamie and I got, but on our primer, it, uh, it just started to rain and we like, out of nowhere, it went from like a couple of drops hit you to like torrential downpour and Jamie on the way back to Carson, like, this rain's so chubby. It's <laughs> chubby rain. I'm like, yes. Gotcha. There's a reason I married Sucker. you. <laughs> gotcha, suckers. Uh, but anyways, yeah, the uh, the race scene's fantastic, and again, I, I, I like I hadn't seen this movie in ten years, pretty much almost. Uh, I didn't remember exactly how it ended. I remembered that like Hemsworth won it. I remember that like Daniel Bruhl, you know, pulled out for no safety reasons. rain, sorry. Oh, there's cleavage. Is there a thick rain?
0: cheerleading squad. I, uh, <laughs> no, is there
1: anything rain related?
0: Raindrop. uh no oh, reference to yeah, Arnold so Schwarzenegger. For- uh, reference to Fat tom cruise rain. no Me-
1: medium range
0: severed head sexual favor <laughs> wow
1: uh, but uh yeah the um the 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 way that it happens where it pulls out so quickly because like you're preconditioned when you watch these sports films that this is always going to happen and I, mean, I even go back to top gun treating top gun as a sports film you have the guy who's shaken by his poor performance uh, and the accident or whatever and this is the talk to me goose scene. You know, he gets out there, he's on the first lap and he's like, uh, I don't know about this. Uh, talk on Maverick had the talk to me dad moment, right? Like every movie has it. driven even has it. That's where the, the humming scene comes from in driven. <laughs> <That's dumb>. uh, <laughs> Days of thunder had the exact same thing. Like you're so used to this. So you expect it to be more dramatic. And then there's something about it that I just love that. He basically gets on the track and then he's me like, no, I'm done. <laughs> it's just it. Because again, that's his character arc without, say like we both mentioned here without actually coming right out and saying this is the point of something you make a point this guy pushed himself in the last race because he was too competitive even though he knew it was the wrong choice and this time he's like I'm not pushing it I'm okay I'd rather be alive and there was also that quote about um uh, rivals making you better like the, I think the, he had already mentioned in an earlier scene about uh, you know the uh, it, the, watching Hunt win is kind of what gave him motivation to get back in the car. But then he has the line here about the the doctor basically telling him, it's like, why do you see Arrival as a bad thing? Like mm-hmm. enemies are, you know, something we should be good at uh, or looking for. That's, uh, I think, the line he has in the last scene here. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I don't know whether I would be, like, in reality, somebody who'd be rooting for Hunt or Lauda. I mean, Hunt's a big personality, so I can imagine he was probably, like, a fan favorite, but then you have the accent. I think that's the other reason why this was such a big deal because – I'm watching this movie, and the other thing that I don't feel like they sell quite hard enough is what a big deal this television rights was and this race having to go on. They briefly mentioned the movie. We know, oh, well, everybody in the world is watching this. But in reality, what it came down to was they said, this race is going to take two hours. We've got two hours of daylight left. We're paying for satellite time. We are not going to reschedule this. Yeah. So it, it, and it's incredibly unsafe, but like you imagine uh, this wasn't like, oh, we secured a deal. They spent this entire season building Formula One to a world audience. And because of Hunt's personality and because of the rivalry with Lauda and because of Lauda's accident, all these things, this is like Tonya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. Yeah. There's real life drama that went on that made this so much bigger. There's no way that figure skating would reach the heights it did if it wasn't for, you know, the tabloid garbage of, uh, Ned's Kerrigan and Tonya Harding, just like there's the whole point in this uh, real story was that there's no way they would get live broadcasting around the world if it wasn't for the tabloid stuff with Hunt's marriage and uh, Lauda's accident and the rivalry between them. Uh, but like the movie just barely mentions it. So I kind of just wanted more like uh, c- certain times you are kind of like confined by you need to deliver a two hour movie to us. And then other times, like we'll give you a little bit of leeway. Uh, I wish this movie just had a little bit more leeway so they could get more into that. Because uh, that probably was part of the deciding factor why he wouldn't race this race. Uh, but then Hunt doing it anyway is like, that's just him. Like, he didn't care, right? He, he doesn't care if he lives or dies. That's what that that last scene that's so great about that last scene between them at the airport. Because I started to get caught off guard again when I saw this montage. I'm like, oh, so this is how the movie ended? I, I didn't remember. And somebody's getting yelled at up there. <laughs> Dizzy. Um, must be the dog. But uh, you, you have this airport scene. Uh, after this long montage, I'm like, this movie's only got—you can see the counter. It's got ten minutes left in the movie, and they're almost setting it up like this is supposed to be showing that Hunt's on the downfall and Lauda needs to pick him back up again. And maybe this movie will start with the start of the next season, and then it doesn't. So again, it's it's unpredictable because they're following a semi-real story here. But I think this is where they—they they didn't want to, for the dead guy, they didn't want to end on a disparaging note and be like he fell into becoming an alcoholic. So they kind of find a way not to endorse his behavior here, but to show this guy was happy one and done, you know? Yeah. And that's where I think I actually, even though this ending, it sort of starts with the the airport scene where you're like, where are they going with this? Like they don't have enough time to redeem a character. And in the end, it's like, it's not about redeeming it. It's kind of just about like how you want to live. He's like, as far as I'm concerned, I've got one life to live. I'm going to enjoy it. I've already won. All I could do now is win a second time. What does that matter? You know what? The two guys just with completely polar opposite views on life, you know? Uh, and it's kind of a nice way to end it. Whether it be the way that they drive or the way these guys choose to live their life afterwards, the movie kind of presents as like neither of them are actually wrong. They're just two very different people. And you know, uh it, it's it's different because if you do read up on the real story, this looks like a downer ending for Hemsworth. Like, oh, so this is where his problem started, but then the way that the movie kind of tricks you in this final scene to being like, no, this is just the way he wanted to. He wanted to live as a champion for, you know, one month or whatever. It, it just, it's, it's different. Um, another movie that this actually reminds me of, especially with the ending is uh chariots of fire, which I don't think you, you've you never seen chariots of fire. I not mean, yeah, not yet. Yeah. I mean, s- similar, completely different sports, but you know, chariots of fire, you know, the, the two greatest Olympic athletes of their time, this rivalry where they were so dedicated to beating each other, and um you know the, there's a big showdown they both train for the olympics and in the end they don't even end up actually competing against each other and it's similar with this that's what's sort of interesting is that this is a movie about a rivalry where i don't as far as i can tell there was never really a race except for ones that may have just been glossed over in the movie where it was like hunt one lauda two lauda one hunt two like even when, in the documentary when they kind of run through they'll run through the statistics there' 70 points. So every time Lauda would win, Hunt would be further back or maybe not getting any points at all. And same with the other way around. And another thing that I feel like it would be interesting to maybe go a little deeper on in this movie, this was a rivalry where these two guys never actually faced off against each other. In a way, that kind of just gives it more mystery, you know? Like, I could imagine people in 1976 watching this in real life, maybe being disappointed. Oh, we never got the Hunt-Lauda showdown. But it's like, but sometimes that can actually be more dramatic.
0: Yeah, it, it can happen in Formula One, like, Going back to your Canadian driver that won in 1997, um, I mean, very famous. You could do a movie on that season because there was a very famous incident at the end between him and Michael Schumacher and how ultimately Villeneuve won the championship. But they famously never shared a podium that season. So, you know, the podium is obviously the top three. And that's very rare that the two main championship rivals do not share at least one podium throughout the season. Um, And even looking here at how, yeah, that the actual season... Played out. Nicky Ladder, actually, I'll correct myself, only missed two races after that injury. Insane. Uh, Having said that, back then, Formula 1 races were spread out a lot more. Um, Like Mm. nowadays, you know. Yeah, because it's
1: like he spent a month in the hospital, they say. Yeah,
0: nowadays, like, for example, the Hungarian Grand Prix this weekend and then next weekend we'll be in Belgium. So there's literally two races in like Mm. two consecutive weekends. Um, But, yeah, so they actually only shared the podium, it looks, that season three times. Um, in South Africa, uh, Lauder was first. Hunt was second. In Spain, Hunt was first. Lauder was second. And in America, Hunt was first. Lauder was third. So, and Spain's the
1: only one they actually show in the movie, and I think yeah, it's brief.
0: Exactly. Um, so it it can happen. It's rare, but it um it can happen. I I think you keep talking about charity. of fire. I think we were meant to do it, weren't we? For um Tokyo, we were going to do an Olympics month. Mm-hmm. I know we sort of did Winter Olympics month back in the day, but yeah. um, I think next year we should do that. We should do yeah, what Chariots of Fire, uh, the Atlanta bombing movie, which is not really an Olympic movie, I guess, but it kind of is.
1: It starts around the Olympics.
0: Um, uh,
1: the Jesse Owens movie, Race, that's a good one.
0: Yeah, and then there's, um, I know it's a winter movie, but they did film that movie during the 28th, that love story. Uh, I don't think it's a comedy, but that drama that they the IOC granted them permission to film during the Pyeongchang Olympics, which I do have. Um, and there's that other, well, oh. uh, there's that other one. Yeah. Anyway, there's a few
1: with the Canadian swimmer uh, doing her acting debut as a swimmer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's there's a few out there. Um, so I think next year uh, we'll probably have to record that one mm. early because I'll be in Paris. So you know, in, <laughs> God, uh, how am I going to France? I, I'm not meant to like that country. Um, so this movie was uh, well received. It uh, has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, 7.5 out of 10 average. The consensus saying a sleek, slick, well-oiled machine rushes a finely crafted sports drum with exhilarating race sequences and strong performances from Chris Hemsworth and Daniel Ruhl. They gave Chris Hemsworth's pro, uh, plaudits there. That's good. Um, the uh, Nick, Do they actually have anything here from actual reviewers? Not really. They've got nikki Lauder first saw the pre-screening of the unedited footage. He considered himself to be portrayed too negatively. This changed the day he saw the film when Bernie Eccleston, who I've mentioned before, uh, told him how much he liked it. Loudy loud, Loudy. Louder was pleased with the overall look of the film. He was quoted as saying, when I f- saw it the first time I was impressed, there was no Hollywood changes or things changed a little bit Hollywood. Like it was very accurate. And this really surprised me very positively. It always makes you feel good, right? When you actually hear the real person talk about it positively. Mm. Um, I mean, uh, let's bring up Patch Adams again, because that's apparently the M.O. of this month. But uh, <laughs> the real Patch Adams is basically always trashed. The yeah. Patch Adams film, saying, like, this is pretty much bullshit. Um, and there are other ones that kind of will do that as well. But, um, yeah, like, I, I like when they come out and say that. Uh, in terms of accolades, I mean, it did. Like, Golden Globes have got a Best Picture nomination and a Best Supporting Actor for Daniel Brawl. That's kind of the major ones. The Australian International Film Awards, we nominated it for Best Film Uh, It won the Boston Society of Film Critics for Best Editing. It won Best Editing in the British Academy Awards. Didn't even get an Oscar nomination for Best Editing, believe it or not. Uh, Got
1: Zero Oscar nominations, No, not
0: a single award uh, nomination. Daniel Brawl won the Virtuoso Award for the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. We got a bunch of Satellite Award nominations. Isn't Satellite the uh, Science Fiction Awards? No, Uh, that's Saturn. Saturn. Oh, okay. Wrong one. Um,
1: Sag? Sag. Got a couple of Sag War, yeah.
0: Dan Dan Brule got one. And uh, Stunt Performance got one as well. So, just looking that year, though. um, So, for the Golden Globes, uh, Jared Leto won that year for Dallas Buyers Club. Also up That's one
1: they want to take back.
0: Michael Fassbender, Bradley Cooper, and Barkhad Abdi. Oh, the Captain Phillips dude. Love that guy. I'm the captain now. Uh, And for Best Drama, 12 Years a Slave won that year against Captain Phillips Gravity and Philomena. Uh, and then the Oscars. So, yeah, 12 Years of Slave won that year. So, this is what a, a field of 10 again, is it? So, I've only seen one of these films. I've seen Captain Phillips, uh, American Hustle, never seen Dallas Buyers Club, Gravity, Her, Nebraska, Philomena, and The Wolf of Wall Street. Said so 12 oh. Years of Slave won. And then the You got ap- a
1: lot of very average movies in, like 12 Years a Slave. I mean, the reputation almost immediately after the movie came out is like, oh, that movie was okay. And like, to me, I hate Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, Dallas Buyers Club's a better movie than Jared Leto's performance. I mean, Jared Leto's performance is like nine minutes in that movie. And nowadays people are like, oh, this is that whole thing about, oh, you can't have a straight man playing a transgender man. So, I mean, if they had a do over, I guarantee that Daniel Bruhl would have gotten a nomination over Leto.
0: And Ross should have got a best picture nod, do you think?
1: I think when looking at this field, yeah, there's too many movies. Like I would say Strike the Wolf of Wall Street. That movie's garbage as far as I'm concerned. What um,
0: editing but- that year, actually, I'd be intrigued to see in oh, terms yeah. of uh, what editing got done. I'll pull that in a second. So yeah, acting-wise, Jared Leto won. Barker Abdi, Bradley Cooper, Michael Fassbender, and Jonah Hill got an on. I always forget Jonah Hill's an Academy Award nominee. Mm. Uh, Ellen hosted the Oscars that year. I'm sure they'd change that again too, wouldn't they? Um, I like Ellen. Who cares if she's a bitch? I'm a bitch, so who cares? Uh, best film editing went to Gravity. Uh, also nominated oh, Am- American Hustle, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, and Twelve Years a Slave. I mean, were they like editing movies? Um, I mean, I guess they were edited, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I hope they were edited. Um, but. Yeah, I, robbed. No no Oscar love at all for this film. Not even a nomination for Or anything.
1: sound. Like, I mean, get, yeah. I get Gravity and Captain Phillips being nominated and all those, but, like, you have sound and sound mixing and it doesn't get a nomination for either.
0: Yeah, crazy. Uh, I'll do box office before we do plot keywords and everything. So, overall, again, it wasn't a hugely massive film in terms of uh, money. I don't think this was ever touted as, like, a blockbuster. I think a lot of people kind of didn't really see this film. So 26 million domestically, 68 million internationally. So not even 100 million worldwide. So 95 million worldwide. The weekend it opened on September 20 to 22. Um, It actually only opened in 38th place, made 187000 Limited? Yeah, one cinema. uh, No, sorry, five cinemas it was released. So limited release. Uh, The big movie that weekend was Prisoners. Who's in that one? Uh, Oh,
1: that's uh, Hugh Jackman.
0: Oh, of course it is. Uh, that made twenty million dollars. Battle of the Year was also open that weekend. The Wizard of Oz 3D IMAX re-release. Uh, but oh, I saw that. What were some big movies out that weekend? We could have seen Riddick. We could have seen The Butler. Where the Millers, Insidious Chapter Two, Percy Jackson, Sea of Monsters, some bad movie. movies. One this Direction,
1: This Is Us.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, not-
1: what about its wide release? Did it did it open? Better when it
0: went wide? Uh, that is a fantastic question, Colin Hilding. Uh, that would have been the weekend, the following weekend. Uh, so that opened to $10 million uh, in week two. Average. The big movie, that was third. Uh, so the big movie that was released that weekend, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2. That opened to $34 million. 2013, not a great year for film, it seems. Um, oh, no. Metallica through the never, uh, we could have seen. Planes, remember that? Yeah. Um, uh. User reviews, I guess we'd go for the one star. So, Mm -hmm. uh, a great disappointment. Rent, the 1966 Grand Prix. I fell asleep. Twice. Uh, Slow as a Model T. Well, dot, dot, dot. Wouldn't it best? Um, Boring. This is a short one. I don't care what people say. This movie, it is just outright dull. I'm just so glad I didn't spend the money on a ticket for the theatre. Did you download it illegally? Lim (laughs) oh nine five oh three. 09503? Ron Howard. For you. I have never seen a movie from you that I outright hated, but I have to say this is just awful. Cool. Uh, oh, here we Apparently. go. Outdated male view from Ellen R. Four. He's Ellen. Uh, interesting story. However, features outdated lad culture views and the objectification of women. I'm sorry. That's kind of the point of showcasing that period of time. That like I'm not condoning. Uh, that, but that's what it was in the 70s. That's if what it, James Hunt this was. Is the,
1: see, this is the problem. Like, you make a movie and you say, oh, it objectifies women. But then, if you make a movie and you don't do that, you're like, "Oh, but in the real time period, women were objectified." Yeah, it's like, green, and at big, the same time, Daniel Bruhl is anything but objectifying oh, women in this movie. It's the James Hunt character. I mean, like, there's, no, like, I know that, but like, you're presenting two different sides.
0: The, the footage at the end where you see like uh, James Hunt posing with like naked women, like those images circulate to this day of like actual ads oh, yeah. with him with two naked women beside him, like that. Was, and it's also kind of like the reputation of Formula One as well. Like, you're not going to mm-hmm. make a movie about the Nazis and not show them killing Jewish people? Like, where yeah. are they going to turn around and say, like, oh, the Nazis, this is an anti-Semitism movie. Like, <laughs> what, this is disgusting. Like, it's historically accurate. Unfortunately, this was what history was and showcased time in the 70s. No, it's mm. not appropriate. No, it doesn't hold up well, but it's accurately showing what society was like in that day. Get out of it, Ellen R for um, plot keywords. <laughs> um Number one, funnily enough, is Formula One. I actually just want to say, I'm sure you got Drive to Survive as number one for Formula One. No, Rush is number one. Formula One, Drive to Survive is number two. Grand Prix, number three. And Senna, number four. And then I also love Formula One as in the actual sport. um, He's number five. (laughs) The sport is a film? Like on IMDB, they have listed Formula One as like a title. Um, What else do we have on here? Uh, the, the that is a top one. The lowest one is reference to Richard Burton month. <laughs> what can we do for reference to Richard Burton month? We could do Sss. La La Land, Rush in Bruges, in how you say that movie? And Heartbreak Ridge.
1: How about Sex in a Shower month? Ooh. Uh, Orange is the New Black. Knock Knock with us. Katie Anna Reeves. New Jamie's gonna be watching that. Alien Covenant and Dawn of the Dead.
0: Reference to Mario Andretti month. Bird in a Cage Month. I'm surely Bird Cage should be number one, shouldn't it? Uh, the Shawshank Redemption, Bird Box, Pearl, oh, and Arrival. There you
1: go. I've got two here Bursting into Flames Month and <laughs> Wreathed in Flames Month. <laughs> oh, it's your favorite. Rush, The Incredibles, Sherlock Holmes, let the right one in. And then Wreathed in Flames Month. Um, I cannot find. There we go. Uh, wreathed in Flames Month, Rush, Midlothia. I don't even know what that is.
0: I'm going for cleavage month, which we just saw in both <laughs> of up, or mob of reporters month. So cleavage <laughs> month is from Titanic, Babylon and Citadel and mob of reporters is the dark Knight, gone girl, knives out and watchmen. Uh, cool. Uh, Skinny stub- dipping month. <laughs> oh, embarrassing question month. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Rush. The last days of disco, uh, tattle tales and the politician's wife. Oh. That guys are 185 minutes? The politician's wife? It's, Who's in they're, that?
1: They're, they're, we've, we've had a little bit of a dry spell here with plot keywords. We struck gold with Rush. <laughs> I have not heard
0: of a single actor in the politician's um Oh, it's a it's a mini-series. That's why. Okay. Nosebleed month. <laughs> yeah, it's not very great, is it? German abroad month. Male male <laughs> kiss? When do two men kiss in this movie? What? Um Nikki Louder month. Uh, I'm sure that's a busy one, <laughs> featuring Rush, Hunt vs. Louder, F1's greatest racing rivals, and Hunt vs. Louder: The Next Generation. Uh, <laughs> what? What's that? Oh, it's following their sons. That's cool. Generation ago, rival was born. One... Or? No, it looks like a documentary. Uh, it follows their sons, Freddie and Matthias, as they go head to oh, head. I've never heard of that. That sounds cool. It's only a year old. Ah, oh, let's cover that um followed by hunt verse louder um deep space nine and hunt Louder. was not that star trek the next generation that was a joke yeah um i'm obviously buying this movie colin hilding what are you doing with this movie
1: uh my memories of this movie i would have said i'd probably come into this as a rent but i mean it's uh, even though i've complained about certain things with the movie i mean it's definitely still a buy for me i feel like this could have been like an enthusiastic buy with a couple of minor adjustments but uh it's more enjoyable than I remembered. You know, maybe not necessarily. Well, I think in 2013, it should have gotten a Best Picture nomination. Um, maybe not necessarily like the greatest movie of Ron Howard's career. Uh, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And Daniel Brill is great.
0: And Chris and Hemsworth. Olivia
1: Wilde's there. And, and Hemsworth's good, too.
0: Yeah, Hemsworth's good. Brühl better um
1: yeah that's that's the tagline
0: i seriously just hear his name and it just reminds you of cool Runnings. like that's joseph Gruhl, the biggest asshole (laughs) and he's also the biggest asshole in the world too that's daniel brawl also the biggest (laughs) asshole in the world too which i mean i guess the obvious uh i mean my fight my four rankings was never changing it was coming into this it Hmm. was always going to be truman show mrs doubtfire rush american graffiti uh, yours was Truman Show American Graffiti Mrs. Doubtfire Rush Mrs. Doubtfire, correct? and then Rush yeah okay so Mrs. Doubtfire I feel bad having Mrs. Doubtfire third on both our lists but I mean it's just well I have it second, I guess Um, but like it it feels like a better movie than third out that's, of four but
1: that's how good uh, the category of movies we had although technically I think would that put it as our average lowest of the month
0: Mrs. Doubtfire maybe not
1: I think tied that would be tied with uh, no Rush
0: would be last because I'd had that at you had that fourth. I've got it at third.
1: Oh yeah, there we go. Trim- and then tie between Mrs. Doubtfire, American American, yeah. So and
0: then- I, yeah. But I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be, uh, which then leads us really into next month. So I believe we're doing Bad Movie Month. Uh, are we going to mm-hmm. keep the cap to an hour? Don't we? Don't we do that yeah. for Bad Movie Month? Like that's fun. Yeah, that really that got excited. Yeah! yeah,
1: hour. <laughs>
0: I can get some time. We can record.
1: All episodes in one day if we want it. <laughs> so okay, so
0: refresh it. We're doing Jack and Jill. We're doing Freddy Got Fingered. We're doing. Stri- yeah, oh, not striptease. That's a Demi Moore one. Um, Showgirls. Showgirls.
1: And what's the fourth one we're doing? I can't remember. So, what uh, the How fourth the Duck. One was. Oh yeah, yeah. Which and I you know three of three of those movies I've seen on my streaming services within the last week, so it's gonna be nice and easy for me to watch them. I've
0: never seen How the Duck. I've never seen Freddy Got Fingered. I've seen the good bits of, um, uh, not tease Ben, when are we doing Demi Moore, uh, <laughs> Showgirls, and I've seen, ja- which again, this is like my love guru argument. Like, Jack and Jill's not that bad. I'm sorry. Like, it's it's just a dumb Adam Sandler comedy. I still to this day lose it over Al Pacino doing the Dunkachino. Um, Dunkachino. Have you seen Jack and Jill?
1: I've seen parts of it. I never sat through the whole thing. What I saw didn't impress me, but it also didn't like appall me. So I, yeah, like, yeah,
0: it's one of these ones where it's like, okay, I can see it's a bad film. It's like the love guru. Like, okay, I can see why people don't like, but it's not like the emoji movie levels of bad or like, like whatever. Like I just something about it. I watch it. And I'm like, I like this movie. It's like, you don't mess with the Zohan. is one of my random favorite Adam Sandler movies. that also gets shit upon, but like, sometimes you just need a dumb comedy that's just so mm. stupid that it's just like enjoyable at the same time so I'm all on board for the Jack. who's who's hosting what do you want to do Jack and Jill or
1: uh I mean I'll host whatever's first we should decide what the order is we do Jack and Jill Howard first. the ducks how are the ducks the only one I've seen um so I don't know do we want to go Jack we should probably split up Jack and Jill and Freddie Got Fingers. Okay, so I
0: think we go Jack and Jill, you host it, then we do um Showgirls, I'll host it. You do Howard the yeah. Dark, and then I'll do Freddie Got Fingered. We'll do Freddie forgot Got Fingered last. Right? Does that works. I don't think you want to do a movie about sex and boobs. You'd be like, and then this <laughs> and woman the takes Canadian her clothes up. What's all last? that? Um,
1: <laughs> have you seen Freddy Got Fingered? No, never seen it. And I love Tom Green up until that when I saw the reviews for him, I'm like, oh, I don't think I'll be checking this out. We
0: were talking about him in the office the other day because we were just um, we we're talking about, was it the Chad? No, the Chad was great. The Charlie's Angels. You haven't seen Charlie's Angels, have you? Um, no. The only bit I know from Tom Green is that sausage bit where he's got all the sausages and he's like, who wants my sausage, 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 sausage. It's like a famous I'm- thing that always shows. is like sausages dangling from the ceiling and he's playing a keyboard yeah. and like Rip Torn walks in. I think Rip Torn's in the movie, isn't he? So... I'm more
1: excited to talk about Tom Green because like I know he became really big outside of Canada, but I was watching him when his show looked like public access. You know, (laughs) that's how long I was following Tom Green. Like I remember it was like one o'clock in the morning. His show would air on like Saturday nights or Sunday nights or something like that. And he had an audience of like 15 people there. It was super low budget. I'm just like, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. And then it exploded and Freddie got fingered, came out and then nobody watched him anymore.
0: Did he get big off Charlie's Angels or was he famous before that?
1: I think he was, fa- he was very famous before that. He right. got into Charlie's Angels just because of how big he had gotten.
0: Right, okay. We're going to do Charlie's Angels. You would enjoy Charlie's Angels. I, I definitely think you, at least the first one. <laughs> <laughs> second one, <yeah. laughs> it's okay. Uh, but tune in for that. Also, Nip Tuck, our in Union, that's out. Colin loved it. Uh, he loved every <laughs> second of it. Uh, we also have 24 coverage. Uh, it's Barbie Heim a week. Now, Colin's seen yeah. both of them at the time of recording this. I'm hopefully going to find five minutes during the mids of a women's world cup to kind of get a life to go see some things. So uh, hopefully we're going to see those. Can, okay. Without spoiling anything on your opinions or anything, can you give us a, a teaser? Are we doing these together? Like, are we going to like, I don't know. I'm
1: debating about that. Um, it would almost be fun to do it together. Cause that's what this has sort of become. Uh, but they, they are, very opposite movies, but I actually had some very similar opinions on them, so it'll be interesting to talk about together if we did do that. I
0: did see the fan-made trailer for Barbie Barbieheimer, which is pretty clever. <laughs> so, um, yes, but Florence Pugh's boobs. Do uh, you see
1: Margot Robbie's boobs at all? No, uh, we see Ryan Gosling's boobs. Uh, who
0: hasn't? Man's just you walk outside, oh, there's Ryan Gosling's boobs again. (laughs) Looking forward to seeing Ryan Gosling smile for the first time in cinema. Um, Do all the things that we tell you to do at the end of it. Listen to our other shows, too. They're pretty good. And thanks for tuning in to Anniversary Month. We're back. And next year, Anniversary Month, is our special Jim Carrey Anniversary Month, as we've uh, discovered. We'll be doing The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, and Man on the Moon. I'm very much looking forward to that. My name is Ben, and fuck off back to New York, dear.
1: Hey, my name is Colin, and I
0: will spend the rest of my life with a face of frightens people. Thanks for downloading this episode of The Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider.